Call, David, I'm going to call the meeting to order, um, and I want to welcome you, Anthony, Anthony Thompson, our newest trustee. Welcome to our um, our retreat. And I'm going to ask the clerk for the roll call. Trustee Lawrence here. Trustee DeVries here. Trustee Hernandez here. Trustee Banerjee here. Trustee Charlotte here. Trustee Jensen not here yet. Uh, Trustee Zorthian here. Trustee Thompson. Here. We have a quorum. Great. Okay. Um, then I am going to turn it over to our uh, esteemed attorney uh, who promises that this is going to be a fun morning. There's a lot writing on this. So the ethical principle here is be careful. Ah, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, so thank you all for coming this morning, as if you had a choice in the matter. Um, and so this is our AB uh, 1234 ethics training. How many of you have been through this before? Okay, so several of you, so this is not the first time. Um, and what we'll be doing this morning, as you know, this is a uh, two-hour training that we're going to be doing. And I think it's important for all of you to understand that this training is for you. Um, it is not something you know, that I am doing for myself. And what I mean by that is that to the extent that you have questions, you know, I want you to ask those questions. Uh, we have to do two hours. Uh, so you know, not asking questions will not shorten the presentation uh, in any appreciable manner as far as it goes. But uh, I actually, uh, and I want to you know, thank Michelle you know, for allowing us to put this on. Uh, the agenda for the board retreat. Uh, I, quite frankly, for this type of training, am a great fan of having an organization do it together. Uh, because a lot of what we learn from this is, you know, what perspectives of our colleagues are who are, you know, basically involved in the same thing. And so having the chance, to, you know, to hear people's perspectives, you know, on some of these issues as they come up, you know, hear their questions, understand what gives them concern, I think is very useful for an organization. So, uh, you know, the opportunity to do this at least once is group, you know, I think is, you know, very important. So again, many thanks to Michelle for allowing us to do that. Um, so this is what we'll be doing today. Um, these are the things that, you know, we're looking to accomplish in terms of, you know, the overall training, you know, understanding what the ethical obligations are. Okay. And this is both from the standpoint of talking a little bit about some ethical principles, uh, but also the, uh, the strict rules and regulations as well, too. So we'll go through all the ethics laws that we're required to cover. And when I say required to cover, I do mean required to cover. Uh, the Attorney General has uh, promulgated a regulation which specifies each of the points which needs to be covered in this AB 1234 training. So the stuff that we'll talk about today is not stuff that I uh, would necessarily want to talk about on my own, okay? It is actually prescribed for us. But I think that they all are important issues. Uh, we'll talk about specifically understanding financial interests, relationships, the types of things which you know, potentially lead to conflicts of interest, uh, how those can be avoided, how they can be detected, uh, the steps that we need to take you know, when we're making decisions you know, to ensure that we avoid problems in that area, uh, the consequences of violating the ethics obligations. Um, again, this is not just something that we're doing because it's a good idea. It's something that we're doing so that we don't end up in jail. Um, and when I say we don't end up in jail, I mean literally that we don't end up in jail because that is one of the potentials. Um, then we'll talk a little bit about the obligations to protect uh, the public right to fair government. So we'll talk about processes. We'll talk a little bit about the Brown Act um, because that's part of our ethical obligation. 
<coughs> and then, uh, assuming that we've gotten through all of that, then we will have satisfied our uh, requirements for the training, at least for the next two years. So, to make this, as Michelle indicated, I promised it would be fun. To make this fun, we're going to use the key point interactive technology. So everybody should have in front of them one of these little keypads here. Okay. Does everyone, does everyone have one? Okay, so from time to time. This you can't abstain. So from time to time, you will get a question. In the question, they'll have some responses there. You'll have some opportunity uh, or some time you know, to reflect on the question uh, and then answer the question. And you will vote for an answer by pushing one of the buttons on your little keypad there. Um, is yes. this anonymous? It is anonymous. Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> now, since this is an ethics presentation, I should make a full disclosure. There is a way that I can track responses by various groups so I could have like a trusty group but I want to assure you that I have not enabled that aspect of the technology for the presentation. And to make things uh, very easy, Susanna and David are also going to participate, okay? So you have no concern about, you know, perhaps being called out, you know, because of the number of the answers. So you'll have approximately 15 seconds. just went up now. <laughs> The likelihood of correct answers is now greatly improved by two. Uh, so you will have the opportunity, um, and when you press a number, you vote it. If you change your mind, you can press another number. If you just want to vote multiple times, you can press that same number, but you only vote once, okay? And then, uh, when you call time, then you'll see. So we'll go ahead and take a practice, okay? So let's take this first question here. Which of the following has never won a Nobel Prize? So you see the question here. Now in a moment, I'm going to push a button and you'll see down here in the bottom a little timer. So that will give you an opportunity. And so you don't start voting until the timer comes up. Question. There's a problem. Your choices are letters and numbers. Okay, so I understood that this was a pretty smart group. And I'm going to go back to this slide. So you'll see here that... One equals A, two equals B, and, and so, so Delvecchio, three would equal C. Don't tell me, don't tell me. Can we get the Jeopardy song? We're set evaluation. You got to do it for next year's evaluation. Give me a whole year to make up for that. Oh, okay. So okay. So you'll, and you'll see the thing there. Okay, so we're going to okay. go back and try this. We have some practice questions here, okay. you know, because I anticipated this. <laughs> okay, so the first question, which of the following has never won a Nobel Prize? Oops. Oh, excuse me. Hold on one second. Stop that, stop that, stop that. Since uh, you guys sort of jumped the gun here, I'm going to have to go back and reset. <clears throat> oh, the answer's up there. Huh? Uh, is that the answer? Oh, we all got it. We all got it. That was the choices. <laughs> I mean, that could have been just one person. Wait a minute. Okay, so we'll go back down here. So this is our first question, and you can go. All right. Ah, uh, well... And you can see the timer's going down here, so. 
does it tell you that you voted? Yeah, you'll see a little green light that tells you you voted. So, for our first question, here. Okay, which of the following? It's not. So, this would sort of suggest that this was, I guess, one vote each. Okay. So, one person got the correct answer. Stephen Hawking. Okay, Dr. Zorthian braces, runs out in the league here, okay? So you can go ahead and keep track of your scores. If you'd like, you can keep track of your scores, and then at the end, we'll, we'll have an extra bagel for you. Okay, so let's try this again. So our second question, okay? count if he hasn't accepted it yet, Oh, he's been awarded. I said awarded, not accepted. Okay. See, I'm the lawyer in the room. These, these sort of nitpicky points, that's my job. Okay. okay, just to be clear. Okay, according to City of Order magazine, which of the following is the highest rated museum in the Bay Area? Go ahead and vote. Well, one should be. seem to have a, uh, a bit of a uh, spread here. The correct answer to this is the Oakland Museum of California. I guess okay. because of the person who asked yeah. the question. <laughs> I, I, used to be, I used to be a trustee there, president of the board, and just thought I'd bring it up. But no, actually, Oakland Museum of uh, California is actually rated higher than MoMA, uh, Asian Art Museum, and the Tech Museum down Some in uh, San Jose. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Did I say that? Oh, That's okay. So here we go. Which of the which was the best of the three presidential debates? Oh, that's <laughs> I'm anticipating consensus here. Okay, I think everyone's probably voted on this one. That's cute. Oh my goodness! <laughs> okay, so when this happens, okay, you know, I think the good teaching point is not to call out this individual, <laughs> whoever he or she may be, as far as it goes. Okay, so our last practice question. <laughs> Or it's right underneath it. So. <laughs> yeah, Donald Trump's mic didn't work. Gary, Gary, I was covering for you. I, I was covering for you. Okay, okay. So our last question here. I can already tell this is the best training program I have ever attended. So go ahead and vote. Oh, look at there. I am touched. This is the first time. This, 110%. This is beautiful. Okay, so let's go ahead and get serious here now with this. Okay, so this AB1234 training is required uh, for all legislative bodies, okay? And when I say legislative bodies, I'm talking about governing boards, they could be elected officials. All elected officials must go through the training. You folks have to go through the training because you receive compensation for sitting on the board. And so the first question is, well, uh, if I don't accept the check, 
do I have to do this? Yes, you do. Okay, so if the board is compensated for the work it does in any fashion, then they have to go through the training. So that's why we're all here. Does um, Congress take this? Say again? Does Congress take this? No, this is a state requirement. Oh, no okay. All the legislators are are the, all the legislators are required to go through this. And what happened uh, back in I want to say around 2004, 2003, 2004, there was just a spate of scandals, you know, amongst legislators. A lot of it circling around the issue of gifts, okay, the receipt of gifts, okay, and travel reimbursements. Um, and so, as we tend to do here in California, you recall, you know, in 2008, there were a number of allegations against the governor, you know, regarding sexual harassment. And so what happened in 2009? <laughs> Mandatory sexual harassment training. So that's where AB uh, 1234 came from. Um, and initially, uh, this was, you know, the responsibility, you know, it started, you know, the law basically placed responsibility with the AG, but now the Fair uh, Political Practices Commission, FPPC, we'll talk about that a little bit here, uh, has taken over, you know, responsibility for it. And as I said, you know, there are mandatory uh, requirements in terms of the training. These are the subjects, you know, that are required to be, you know, covered. You know, ethics and scandals, you know, personal financial gain, uh, perks of office, and so this is gifts and things along those lines fair process and procedure, and then government transparency. So we'll talk about all these things today. Um, one of the things I think is most important, you know, when we talk about <laughs> ethics training, okay, is the idea that, you know, there are always rules and regulations, but the rules and regulations oftentimes aren't very helpful, okay? Because rules and regulations are sort of written at a point in time, and they don't necessarily anticipate everything which is important to perhaps, you know, exercising or putting those rules uh, and regulations into practice. And so really, you know, when we're talking about ethics, you know, we have to really sort of begin with the idea that these are minimum standards and that we really have to sort of focus on ethical principles, you know, which guide us in terms of what we do. If we're constantly struggling for what does the rule say, then we've probably lost the game in some fashion, okay? Because none of us can remember all of the rules and regulations. And the rules and regulations sometimes are <coughs> subject to, you know, varying interpretations, okay? The particular situation or the context, you know, so it might influence how you, you know, approach a particular situation. So it's really important, you know, to understand that these are things, you know, which guide us, but we should always, you know, sort of return to sort of an ethical compass, if you will. And the idea that, you know, what we want to do is the right thing. And even if a rule might permit something in one situation, that's not necessarily, necessarily the right thing to do in all situations as far as it goes. Uh, understand that a lot of these rules don't necessarily follow logic, okay, uh, because they were written by lawyers. Okay, that was a gratuitous thing for you all to, you know, have your fun with lawyers as far as it goes, okay? And, you know, understand that, you know, we're talking about a political process, and so to the extent that these issues become issues for individuals, then they start fighting them, and so you end up, you know, with little, you know, sort of chipping away, perhaps, at the principle that, you know, was originally intended to underlie a rule. So again, that's why we want to go back to the principle that's involved in terms of what's the right thing to do as far as it goes. And so these are the things that we should be focusing on when we're thinking about ethics, separate and apart from any rule, and understanding are these the things that sort of guide us in our decision making. And if we're incorporating, you know, each of these values in terms of whatever it is that we're doing, whether or not it's a specific ethical point, then we're probably going to be okay, probably going to end up in the right place or the place that we actually want to be. So 
Um, I think all of those are things that we can all agree are good things. And I think all of those are things that we can agree are things which are important to this organization. And one of the things that I think is kind of neat about actually doing this particular training in this retreat is given some of the things that we've been talking about, you know, over the past two days, this, I think, fits right in when we talk about just culture, when we talk about what we want to do and create in an organization that, you know, is essentially an employer of choice, I think it's absolutely that this meets up very nicely with it. So, oh, so Tracy's missed all the fun. <laughs> but there's... Now, yesterday it started at 9.30, so for some reason I was going to start at 9 today. No Sorry. problem, no problem. So, um, so again, as we go through this stuff, um, I would appreciate the opportunity, you know, to have a little bit of conversation where you folks might see, you know, difficulties or how we might apply one of these values or principles that we talk about here, even if the rule doesn't necessarily help us get to where we actually want to go as far as it's concerned. So, let's take another test here, okay? First question. Ethical standards for public officials... And so, Tracy, you have right here okay. a keypad. Oh, it's interactive. Cool. It is interactive to, a, to an extent. Ethical standards for public officials and members of public boards are no different than ethical standards for other types of governing bodies. Go ahead and vote. Ah, pretty much an even split. So the question of ethical standards being the same for everybody. Anybody want to comment on either your response or the responses that we have up here? I'll tell you. Go ahead. I had a sort of a confusing confusion with the third one. So because it says disagree, but then it says ethics are ethics. It seems to suggest that we're saying they no, are the same. They're the same, right. Okay. And I was perhaps anticipating, you know, a different reason for why you might agree or, or, you know, that basically this is a non-question. You know, you have, you shouldn't have to distinguish between where someone oh, works as far as it goes. So, well, but that's, aren't, that's aren't a good point. Aren't we held to a higher standard, though? Say again? Aren't we held to a higher standard? Well, in, I will say, should we be held to a higher standard? Remember, I'm a lawyer, so I, I answer I, questions. I think so. Okay. Anybody disagree with that? Well, higher than what? than the standards that might be applied in other situations and circumstances. So if I was sitting on the board, for example, I, if I was sitting on the board of XYZ Corporation, to We're held to a higher standard. We're held to a higher yeah. standard. Because okay. it's a public body. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's absolutely correct. Okay. And, and that's what is really incorporated um, and reflected in, you know, the ethics laws that we have that are applicable to people who sit on public boards, you know, work for public agencies. There is a higher standard because it is the government. We're talking about resources which don't affect a narrow group of people like you might have with a particular corporation or other business entity. We're talking about the people's resources, the people's rights, the people's, you know, um, entitlements. And so that's why we do say that this board is really held to a higher ethical standard than other types of governing boards. Any other questions about that? Yeah. Michelle, go ahead. I think when you start um, having degrees of ethics, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I like ethics or ethics. And okay. so if you say then that a public board has a higher standard, 
and now you quantify that. So does that mean that the people who are not on a public board should not have higher standards such as the people we employ? Clearly you they know? don't. So I think ethics are ethics, and, and everyone should be held to a high standard. Yeah, and, and that's a good point. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you one situation where it sort of plays out and where there might be a distinction. So when you talk about, you know, some of the rules that revolve around gifts, okay? For non-public um, governing bodies, okay, the receipt of a gift or, or something, you know, in an official capacity is generally going to be governed by the question of does it create a conflict of interest? For a public board, you know, that question is made, you know, a little bit more restrictive in that there is a presumption of a conflict of interest at a particular point. And so there's a little bit more broad, it's a little bit broader, a little bit more leeway for someone who's outside of the public spectrum than there is with inside government. And so to that extent, there is a higher standard which is being applied. If I sit on the board of XYZ, you know, you could give me, you know, a gift you know, that's, you know, thousand, couple of thousand dollars worth. And the only question is, does that, in the particular circumstances or context, create a conflict of interest with any responsibility I might have? Whereas on the public side, there's, there's a particular rule where it's presumed that it creates a conflict of interest. And so that's, you know, one instance, you know, where there is a little bit of a different standard that public or non-public boards are given more discretion, more leeway in terms of what well, they do. Given that, then one could argue that those people who are ahead of corporations, Fargo, Wells Fargo, who gets a settlement of $41 million after he goes and, and does this incredibly dishonest thing, that those things are okay. You know, I just... I. No, and but I get your point, yeah. and I won't be labored. No, no, that. But I think it's it's a good piece of the discussion, you know, because this is what we've opted for in terms of the public is that we don't want that sort of question to be raised about officials who serve on governing boards, and we want it to be absolutely clear to the public that we're being held to the very highest standards, and that there's no compromise for it, there's no putting okay. into a, a particular context. Thank you. Not to try to in any way mimic a lawyer. Not one. Uh, um, it's it's a question of. I feel like there, there's two different things we're discussing. One is whether this exists currently, and I think your point, which I suspect a lot of us would agree on, is whether it should be the case. So, so in one case, it's it's you know it it is a fact right now that those those standards exist that are higher in, in the public context than they are in the private context. And then your point is, should that be the case? And are we in some ways sort of furthering or enabling some of the things that are, are questionable in a private context by, by holding them or allowing them to be public instead of some on the other side. Or That's a great clarification. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and understand that there are many organizations which have even higher standards than the government. For example, if you work for Walmart, okay, you are absolutely prohibited from accepting anything from the public in the course of doing your job. So, you know, I, you know I've been to you know, that little place in Arkansas uh, where their headquarters is. I, I'm blanking on the Bentonville. name. Bentonville. Bentonville. You know, I've been to Bentonville. You go out there, you know, to make a pitch to them or whatever. Uh, if you go to dinner or you invite someone to dinner, they're going to pay for it. You can't buy them dinner. You know, even, you know, if it's at McDonald's or a cup of coffee at Starbucks, you know, they just have an absolute prohibition on receiving anything because they want to maintain um, 
you know, an absolute standard that they are not going to be influenced, you know, in that fashion by anything. So, you know, in terms of, you know, dealing with this, it, you know, there is by law, you know, more that we require, but it's not necessarily that, you know, public corporations automatically do something. Trustee yeah, Hernandez. Just, just a, another example, I think after the scandal at Enron, Sarbanes-Oxley was one of those laws that emerged as an effort to clarify the role of a board member, clarify the role of the financial fiduciary oversight that a board must provide. And that changed corporate boards quite a bit. Mm -hmm. However, um, I think we are held to a much higher standard, and I, I think that is absolutely the case today, but hopefully in the future, as more uh, thought is given to what corporations might get in trouble for. Like the guy that price the EpiPen, you know, beyond anything anybody expected. How is that ethical, right? Mm -hmm. So no one challenged him, no one questioned that, because there's no law about that. Yeah. And, and I would fully anticipate that we might see, you know, further reaction as a result of what's happened with Wells Fargo, um, you know, the situation with EpiPen, because typically that's how our, at least our laws and regulations have developed. But understand that our principles, okay, the thing that sets off our ethical, those have always been the same. And again, that's why I encourage people to sort of return to that in this question of, you know, what is it that bothers me about a particular situation as opposed to starting with, well, is there some law or rule or regulation, you know, which allows something like this to happen no matter what the circumstance. <coughs> So the number uh, test. This is the easy one. I, I'm hopeful everyone will get this one correct. Okay. Members of local boards are required to complete ethics training. <laughs> you get this one wrong, then you have to stay for the 15 minute. Uh-oh. Wait, I didn't finish reading all the choices. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Oh, no. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, no. You want to start over? <laughs> okay. So, what's the correct answer e. here? No, it's B. I just thought it was. I thought it's. Oh, it is D, B, and C. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, B is a correct answer because there is a requirement every two years, right. and. C is partially correct, okay, you know, uh, upon taking office, the training must be conducted within six months, and so that means that B and C are correct. <laughs> I'm okay with this answer, because that just well, reflects that, that I really want to follow. No, it's not a trick question. Okay. Well, so I saw B and answered, and then I saw B and went, or C and I went, whoops. So, so, and I recognize that there were some people who were not going to read all the answers before answering, so that's where I know. But that's a requirement, so it's big. You know, so, you know, uh, Gary and Anthony are here today, so, and we have everybody else on the board, so all of you are going to be good to go until October of 2018. I voted to cover Mike because since none of us had it within six months and I didn't want our attorney yeah. to get into trouble, that's why I voted. That's where you did. Good for you. Uh, so, um, how long has this rule been in effect, the six-month training? Uh, well, since the, uh, since the bill was passed uh, and it went into effect in 2005, 2006, so it's been about 10 years. <laughs> that's that's why I said on. Flying, you know. Yeah, I did not. So no problem. Well, and understand there there is no uh, real um, uh, violation, or oh, it's a violation, you know, not to conduct the training. Okay, 
but there's no specified penalty other than, quite frankly, the penalty of public relations. And typically where this will come up is you could find yourself ending up being the subject of a grand jury report uh, because a lot of county grand juries have gone through and required public agencies within their jurisdiction to report on their training. And then they, you know, essentially publicly shame those who have not, you know, had their boards. And then, you know, they point a finger and, you know, may, uh, mark you with the scarlet E, you know, meaning that you're ethically challenged. So, um, but we're good to go now. So that's the important thing. So, um, so now let's spend a little time talking about you know personal financial gain, and this is probably, in many respects, you know the crux or at the heart of a lot of the issues you know that come up. And so we're talking about essentially you know anything involving you know money compensation of any form, okay, which potentially creates a conflict of interest. Uh, and the basic rule is that public officials are public officials that are there to serve the public good, and they are not there to you know serve themselves in any fashion. Uh, and again, so if that's the standard, I am doing this not because it's going to help me, but I'm doing this because it's part of my job or, or it basically allows me to discharge my duties and responsibilities. If that's the thought process or the decision-making process in terms of what you do, you're generally going to be okay. But there are some specific rules which govern conflicts of interest, so we'll talk about them in the decision-making context. You know, uh, bribery, although that's a fairly short discussion because I think everyone understands what uh, bribery is. Uh, public contracts and then campaign contributions. Uh, we're not going to cover that. Uh, you all don't have to worry about that. There's a couple of subjects in the training requirements. And if you go through the entire presentation uh, to the, like the last couple of pages, there are two or three slides there that we're not going to cover in the presentation today because they really apply to elected officials, not to appointed officials, you know, like we have on this board here. You cover it. Some of us are elected. Say again? Some of us are elected, so if you want to... Oh, and, and if we have time, we'll, we'll get to it, and the slides actually provide the information. You know. So I'm just saying we're not going to necessarily focus on that. So the FPVC, okay, says you have a conflict of interest with regard to a particular government decision if it is sufficiently likely that the outcome will have an important impact on your in, uh, economic interests and, okay, a significant portion of your jurisdiction does not also <coughs> feel the important impact on their economic interests, Okay. And it's important to understand that there's two pieces to the standard because there are decisions, you know, which may affect us. But quite frankly, the whole point with a conflict of interest is that there is a special impact that's not felt by anybody else. And so, for example, you know, if the Board of Supervisors, you know, votes, uh, you know, to uh, provide a reduction in the property tax rates. Well, every member of the Board of Supervisors, you know, who owns property would benefit from that decision. But there's no conflict of interest in a decision like that because the benefit is spread across everybody in the jurisdiction. And, you know, they're not getting anything else that anybody else is not getting themselves. Now, you still may have, you know, perhaps an ethical issue, you know, if there's you know, some question about their motivations for doing that. But generally speaking, when we talk about conflict of interest, you have to have both an impact and a unique or peculiar impact you know, to the person. Can I ask a question about that? Certainly. Um, I, I'm aware of public officials that are elected and they continue to work either in a public agency or for another public official or for um, a, um, a, a union that represents both the, the members of the agency that they're elected to as well as other um, Union. So I'm just wondering, I've always wondered how that is not a conflict. If, say, I'm a, a, a union rep and I get elected to one local 
jurisdiction, but I'm still a rep for the whole union. Well, it's not inherently a conflict, okay, but it does raise, you know, the potential for conflicts in probably many more situations than someone who does not have those affiliations. So um, there are some specific rules, you know, that prohibit, you know, for example, employees of organizations, you know, being a member of a governing board, uh, you know, things along those lines. But generally speaking, it's going to be a question because it goes to, you know, typically, you know, the question is it's a decision, okay? And there's very few instances, you know, where there's just automatically a conflict, where, you know, where someone is conflicting, you know, in an automatic fashion for everything. And so it's typically going to be decision by decision, you know, where that occurs. And so somebody who has those affiliations that intersect with the business of the organization that they're trying to, that they have a responsibility to oversee, they have to be particularly, you know, uh, alert, you know, to the possibility of what they're doing may give rise to that, you know, uh, an actual conflict, or more importantly, the appearance of a conflict. So. And if they're not making the sole decision maker in their day job, then that's also probably a way to... That, in, that impacts it, you know, because it's not only a question of the status, but what that status means and what the scope of that status is. And so, for example, you know, you know somebody who is, you know, a principal uh, or an owner <coughs> of a business would have a different analysis of their... Uh, potential conflict than somebody, you know, who works for that business or somebody, you know, who simply, you know, um, is not an owner but has some interest in the business. But when we're looking at it, you know, the FPC, these are the things they look at. You know, first, is this a public official? Okay. And then are they making a decision? And, you know, it's making, participating, influence the government, governmental decision. And this is the thing that, you know, sometimes gets to be problematic. And, you know, so that's why I put down here at the bottom, you know, Hank Wendt. You know, it's the idea that, you know, well, I, I wasn't involved in that decision. Well, you know, a lot of us are involved in decisions even though we're not voting or we're not necessarily participating in the discussion. If we're influencing it in some way, if someone knows what I want them to do and they act accordingly, then I've played a role in that decision even though that person is the one who's making the decision. Yes? It's only economic interest that creates a conflict of interest? Not necessarily. Uh, it's generally, primarily economic interest that we're talking about. But then, you know, if, we're, if it's not economic, it understand that what we're talking about is the integrity of this decision-making process. That's what ultimately is at stake. And the idea that this is a reasoned decision that this is a decision which reflects the best interests of the organization and serves a public benefit. And so even if it's the correct decision, if it doesn't meet all three of those criteria, for whatever reason, you know, because of a financial conflict, because of, you know, just, you know, so, you know, for example, you know, if I, you know, came into a board and said, you know, you know, basically I'm a Republican and so all my decisions will be according to, you know, Republican, you know, party tenants. Well, there's nothing financial there, but there's a conflict there, okay, because I'm not exercising, you know, independent judgment, you know, looking at the public benefit in terms of making, you know, how I'm going about the decision-making process. No one here would ever do that. That applies know, so everywhere but the Supreme Court. Right? <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so when we talk about economic financial interests, and again, and this, I think, in some respects, you know, sort of illustrates the problem or issue that we have. You know, I mean, if we have to basically try and come up with specific rules of what constitutes something, that sort of illustrates, you know, how difficult or a challenge that we, you know, that we have.
but that's what we've done with government, okay? And so when we're talking about, you know, there's different ways that you might evaluate that interest. So first is, you know, business investment position. So if I'm the owner of a business, I clearly have a financial interest there. If I'm an investor, I probably have an interest maybe a little bit different than an owner, okay? If I'm employed by an organization, I have an interest there, you know, because they're paying me a salary, but that's different than somebody who owns the business. And so you'll look at that to determine, you know, what it might be. Uh, is it a source of income to me, okay? So, you know, if I'm making a decision in, you know, let's say that I'm on a planning board and the question is, you know, whether or not we're going to allow a, a cell phone tower to go up in the neighborhood, okay? Well, you know, I probably have some economic or financial interest in that, you know, if I own property there and it's going to affect my property values, you know, things along those lines. But typically when we're talking about actual money, you know, we're saying for if it's $500 or more in the past 12 months, okay, uh, real estate, $2,000 in value, gifts, uh, $460 in the past 12 months from a single source, okay? And that number is in blue because that number changes essentially every two years, okay? And so I would anticipate probably in 2017, 2018, it'll probably go to like $480. Can Kenny? This also includes spouse, right, or partner? Includes spouse or partner? Generally speaking, yes. So, you know, we're talking about anybody within your sphere of influence, if you will, okay? So would it include, you know, uh, a, um, uh, you know, a kid who doesn't live with you? Probably not, but if you have a kid who's living at home, uh, it could very well, you know, fall into this, you know. If you have an estranged spouse or partner, would it cover them? Eh, probably in most instances because if they are still a spouse, because again, what's the issue there? It's the appearance. Yeah. And so, you know, if you know that so-and-so is my spouse and they're getting this, it really doesn't matter what the actual relationship is between us. If you know that and they're getting something, there is, you know, reasonably and logically the presumption that that's benefiting me in some fashion. And so it's not only, you know, the actual conflict, but it's oftentimes also the appearance of the conflict that we have to be concerned about. And then personal financial uh, effect, you know, $250 one way or another within, you know, a 12-month period. So again, you know, I, I put these up here just so you understand that there are some standards, but it really isn't a question, you know, if you're sitting there and you know, think, 249, yes, you know, I'm gonna do okay, you're probably lost. That's just not the way we want to go about this. Trustee Hernandez. So in the case of seeing something emerge that might be touching one of those items is recusing yourself from certain decisions a way to avoid that conflict? So uh, generally, yes. Okay. And so I think, a, you know, a basic principle is that if you have, okay, one of these interests in a decision, then you should automatically question what your role should be okay, with respect to any of these activities. And, you know, and we're going to continue the analysis a little bit, you know, to sort of get to the question of, you know, when recusal is necessary and what recusal is. But, again, it sort of sparks the, you know, if, if A, am I making a decision? B, is there something like this which may be at play either actually or based on appearance, then, you know, I need to be, you know, um, alert to what's going on. And then you get to these, you know, questions here in terms of, 
you know, is it reasonably foreseeable and material, okay? Because again, the point here is, does my position as a public official and the decision I'm about to make, is it reasonably foreseeable that that would impact my decision in that particular instance, okay? That's what we're ultimately getting to. Because the, the thing about it is, is that because I get a gift from someone doesn't mean that I'm going to make a bad decision. The question is, is can the public still have confidence in that decision notwithstanding that fact? And that's what we're getting to. Because, you know, if I get, you know, a, you know, a $49 gift, okay, from somebody and I make a decision, you know, if the gift is $51, does that mean the decision that there's a different thought process to that decision? No, absolutely not. But again, you know, we have to have some place to sort of draw the line, if you will, and so that's why we talk about these things. So, is it a direct interest or is it an indirect interest? Okay? Again, you know, the, uh, the cell phone, you know, repeater, you know, going up on the telephone pole next to my property. That's an indirect impact to some people. Others of you might think that that's a direct impact, okay? So again, you know, these things, you know, have a little bit of variation. But if someone's, you know, placing something in my hand, I would... I think naturally and logically we look at that a little bit differently than something which perhaps is a little bit more speculative. Not to say that we're going to come to a different conclusion necessarily, but it is important in terms of understanding, you know, the overall context of what we're dealing with. Is it material or is it important? Okay, and this standard is, you know, still being sort of reviewed by um, the FPPC. Uh, you know, there's old rule, you know, with respect to real property, you know, called the 500-foot rule, okay? And again, this is not something, you know, which applies specifically to this board, but I think it sort of illustrates what we're talking about. So, you know, a lot of um, municipal boards, uh, planning, you know, commissions, things along those lines, they're making decisions about property. And oftentimes, these are community people who may own property, which is within the sphere of influence of what they're doing. And basically, you know, they sort of adopted this rule that if you own property within 500 feet of the decision being made, then it more likely has a material impact, and you're probably going to have to recuse yourself from that you know, situation. So for your standpoint, you know, it is, it's essentially, you know, how important is it to me, you know, and I sort of think about how close am I to the decision. So. This is public confession time. That's uh, and so I'm doing this training. I'm your attorney. This is covered by the attorney-client privilege, oh, although yeah. we will post it publicly. So I guess you know that's. Uh, <laughs> um, because it troubled me, but it troubled me after the fact, mm -hmm. which means that my ethics are questionable here. A supervisor gave me tickets to a Warriors playoff game. And I went and had a great time. Mm -hmm. And on my way home, I started thinking, I wonder if this is, if I should have accepted these tickets. And then I got asked again if I would like some tickets and turned them down. But for, not for the ethical reason, but for the selfish reason that I didn't want to feel obligated to an individual. Um, well, but see, I think what, that's a good what is point. My, do I need to report this now? Yes. The, okay. The, well, and I need to report the yes. ticket. Yeah. Okay. And we're actually going to have a question on that. But let me just before Joe, let me just jump in there. I think that's precisely the thought process that should enter into our minds. What is the quid pro quo, or is there a quid pro quo here? 
if someone's just doing this, you know, because it is, you know, to develop camaraderie, well, you know, I'm because sure it's that a, was, I don't think it was then that's it. But if there yeah. is any suspicion whatsoever that okay, does this either create an obligation or does it create the appearance of some obligation? The appearances. That's was my issue. that's when we need to be very good because even though I can accept gifts. That doesn't mean I should accept gifts. And I think that that's precisely how you want to look at all of these yeah, things. I didn't think the least about it when it was first offered. I yep. jumped at it and never really processed yep. until Joe. after. Well, I think it's, this is, I mean, you're on the exact subject I was thinking about, these, these tickets to the arena, because it's a huge deal now the city council. They got a lot of uh, heat for it. Uh, council members, you know, abusing them and, and handing them out. Supervisors also get them and always use them or hand them out. Um, you know, when I worked for a supervisor as a as a staffer, you know, we were we could could ask for concert tickets and and get them, and we thought it was kind of a you're doing a great cool. job. Here's the Red Hot Chili Peppers Peppers tickets. Like, thanks, boss. Now that you know I'm on a public board, it, it, it does it does take on a different role. It does, and. Um, and I think there's a new level of public scrutiny, specifically around the sporting goods tickets, because the Warriors are such a hot mm -hmm. item. Yeah. You can't get four Warriors tickets and be under that $460 rule. I mean, one ticket a, into one a playoff play game, that's a $1,000 ticket. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, and, 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 and so, so that, I think, is another real problem for us, is those tickets are worth so much, and that gift amount is so low that, yeah. And, you know, and it's it's interesting. You know, so, so last year, you know, when I was the interim general counsel, you know, I had uh, some tickets to the first playoff games, and one of our uh, executives, who who shall go nameless here, I uh, invited him to the game, and I invited him to the game because I was told, or I initially understood, that the value of the ticket, I want to say, was like three hundred bucks or something like that. And it was fortunate, you know, because just before the event came up, uh, you know, I was talking to the you know, folks who handles them, and I says, oh, yeah, and by the way, how, I just want to confirm how much the ticket is. You know, and it turns out it was the value of the ticket was $890, um, which is, you know, significantly above the 460 bucks we talked about there. Um, and so, you know, I went back to the executive, and I said, you know, when you, we're going to the game. I says, well, I'm going to the game. I said, if you'd like to go to the game, you know, I'm, you're probably going to have to, you know, give me a check for 430 bucks. You know. Um, now, that avoids the specific rule problem, but as you point out, Joe, does that avoid necessarily the appearance problem? Now, in that particular context, you know, I don't really think, but that's what we have to think about in well, terms of human resources. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not your legal counsel, but... <laughs> Michelle, Michelle. But, well, and we're going to get... Oh, okay. oh, that's sweet, because I, I, I... And it is like, it's not what the going price at that time yeah. is but, or something but, like that. But I have to send a check to... A no, we'll, we'll, and we'll get well, to that. Don't worry. We're, we're going no, no, to come back to your specific situation. It wasn't that much fun. So, Tracy. <laughs> but let me ask Michelle, Michelle what, if, um, what if those tickets have been offered to you by um, a union rep or by one of our... by childcare or sound physicians or so on? What, what would you... Someone work for in their contract. What would, would you I would have, have said no for the, because of the contract stuff, but it never occurred to me to do the but, other. But I, I mean, that's a, but I, I'm just bringing that up because if you just don't think about who's offering it to you, even though the supervisors are um, 
they do influence us and it could be seen as a conflict by the by the public. But if you just look at the it's being offered to you and don't even think about, well, it's a supervisor, just think about the value of the tickets and you would turn them down if it was offered by A, B, or C, but not D. That's kind of yeah. maybe not the way to look at it. Maybe just look at my it. My bank has a suite at the Giants. If I offer uh, our president to my suite, it's not a violation of policy. I have no material gain. I would hope she would accept my invitation. The bank has no interest with the health system. Yeah, I think you should. It's really good. There are reasons to make distinctions. But I can get a gift from my brother. Well, there's differences for like wedding gifts. Yeah, and we'll get into some of those specifics, but let's stay at at the principle, okay? So let me inject another principle here which makes this a little bit more complicated, okay? Because the source also plays an impact. And generally speaking, okay, and I mean very generally speaking, public-to-public transactions, okay, are not the same as public and private transactions, okay? So the fact that you got those tickets, you know, from another public official, that, that is a factor, okay? And I'm not saying it's a dispositive factor, but it, it makes a difference, okay? Because again, the idea that if that person is discharging their responsibilities in an ethical manner, then you have less of a situation where there's the possibility that they are doing that to influence your decision making. Or, I'm, there are or I am yeah. as duplicitous as that individual. Well, well no, but I'm, but I'm just talking that. about the general principle that we're talking about and why that distinction does arise there. Okay, And that is, is that essentially we're all presumed to act in accordance with our obligations and responsibilities and that the reason that that's being offered by another public official is not you know, intended to have some. So that's, again, I say it's a factor, it's not a dispositive factor, but it's something which does, you know, sort of go into it, and it sort of, you know, relates to this last thing here, okay, the realistic possibility is more than hypothetical or uh, theoretical that there's going to be some sort of undue influence. First of all, what does dispositive mean? Dispositive meaning that it decides the question without further debate. That, or that's how I'm using it. Okay, so. and uh, the other question is, in your example, if you did, if that same event occurred now that you're not intern right. anymore, right. would you even worry about it? Yes. Okay. Because um, one of the, uh, and this actually is something that we'll get to a little bit later. But when you're talking about gifts, one of the things that you have to look at is the source of the gift. So if that's, if those are my tickets, I bought those. Yeah. Okay. That's a lot different than me getting those tickets from somewhere else and offering them to somebody. That's what's going to well, be then, the question. So to Ant, what about Anthony's his tickets through his the suite that he has through his, his well, job through his organization? Again, it's where where do those tickets come from? Yes. Okay, and where do those tickets come from? Okay, that will influence whether or not is it is in fact a gift. Okay, and then the question of what is the potential impact in terms of conflict of interest that goes to the relationships that we're talking about and whether or not that you know plays a role into it. So that's part of you know, and again, that's what well, makes. Well, let me just finish up on this. What if he, it's part of his job? What if he's the VP and they say, okay, every VP gets one tenth of this suite. So it's part of his compensation versus a get versus something that he. Um, 
Okay, well, we'll give the VPs who are close to this board a certain number of seats and the, you know, it, does it make a difference whether he um, gets that suite only as, as part of his compensation and he knew that when he signed it when he went into the organization or whether that um, those seats are kind of for people who are trying to sell something or you get more seats if you are, are you know, the Wells Fargo high seller or whatever? So, so I have two answers, okay? I have, you know, the answer that, you know, basically, you know, might be argued in the legal briefs during the course of your trial. <laughs> I'll be the first person indicted on this particular thing. Or there's the answer about, you know, what is it you should do in that particular circumstance. And, and I, again, you know, I, every situation has a nuance to it which might cause me to give you different guidance on it. So it's difficult for you to say, well, what about this and what, you know, because it really does depend upon the circumstance. And whenever I get, you know, asked these questions, you know, and I get, you know, asked these questions a fair number of times, there's a number of things that I sort of walk through in terms of trying to understand. And, you know, these, you know, you'll notice there's eight things that we've talked about here. And this, you know, used to be called the eight, you know, rule test, and the FPP said we're not using the eight rule test anymore. And so, you know, they, they look at these eight things. You know, so these are still the things they look at in terms of trying to evaluate whether there is a conflict of interest. But again, the point here, and I think that all of you are, you know, are, are appreciating, is that none of this stuff is so distinct that, you know, this is not, you know, a, uh, you know, one of those, you know, decision matrices, you know, where it's, you know, yes, no, and then, you know, you end up, you know, with an answer down there at the bottom, you know, which is automatic. All of these things play together, okay, and, you know, they might be emphasized, you know, differently depending on the particular circumstances or con. So if you, you know, so Michelle's specific situation of the supervisor gave me these tickets, you know, when I go, you know, back through here, okay, and I look at that in terms of, you know, just basically conflict, and then there's another analysis I'll go through because it's a gift, I'm going to come to potentially a different conclusion if someone else did it. If it's something other than warrior's tickets, if it's something that, you know, has a different value if it's a different place and time, you know, in terms of whether or not there's any decisions being made. All of those things are going to impact and influence. So the point, you know, for all of us, okay, is again, the baseline question is, you never have to take them. The question is, should you do this? And if you're looking at, again, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, geez, if I can't figure out if I'm breaking the law, what is everybody in the public going to presume? What are they going to presume? Yeah. Something's going on, mm -hmm. and that's what you got to be thinking about, Joe. Well, I just want to point out, and, and uh, when when elected officials give out tickets, they're giving them out as a thank you for our, our service uh, because they, they like to give them out to boards and commissions who sure. serve without enumeration and and really you know, put you know a lot of work in. And so it's, it's very interesting. Like you know, they think they're <coughs> nice. They're not looking for influence. They're because they think that their word. We're different than most advisory boards for governmental bodies are, are really just advisory boards. We actually are a separate, you know, entity. Um, so, I mean, so their intent is generally um, uh, not to influence us. However, and, and I. I, and I think that's something worth you know considering in terms of what is this person you know trying to do. But again, you know, from the standpoint of our public, what do they think is happening? Do they think, oh, you know, there's, they're, you know, they're just taking advantage of their position on the board, and you know, they're making bad decisions and getting paid for it. You know, <laughs> that. You know, they, I, I mean, 
I, I, I cannot quantify the potential cynicism of the public in terms of what they're looking at. And so that's why, you know, I tend, you know, to be, you know, very questioning of these things and encourage you all to question again, you know, because you really have to be comfortable yourself. And if you're sitting there in whatever the venue is, whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation is, you know, and there's something in the back of your mind, then it really doesn't matter what the rule is in that question. You know, you're, you're doing something, you know, which potentially compromises your own ethical standards. And, and I always, you know, approach this from the standpoint that your ethical st standards are higher than anything the law is ever going to require you to do. Tony. Um, just thinking about the discussion you had yesterday around the pros, the practical implications are always going to be challenged for While they may not intend to influence the appearance of my test, it's everything. Well, I think you, so you're too. You're going to make some significant financial decisions around St. George, John George, and other areas where the trustees are representing a particular district, and, and you represent Alameda Health System. And so there, there is always that potential risk, and yeah. certainly an appearance of risk. Well, and that's why I didn't accept yeah. the second set of tickets, you know, because uh, I took the first, out of, you know, and thought, you know, maybe I shouldn't have taken this ticket. So you have that second. Yeah. It, you you have that uh oh kind of notion and um, it, so I, I get your point I do think that that you have to keep those those lines and and I understand your point that they're being gracious I mean they're being they're being kind they want to they want to show their appreciation etc so but that, it, that bothered me yeah, yeah the it, other thing that has always troubled me also is vendors who um, support um, golf tournaments. We sponsor golf tournaments, and we participate in those things. And I find that very uh, because they are vendors in our system, and we go to their golf match, and we, you know, sometimes those places that they play are two, three, four hundred dollar green fees, and I think that that has some serious implications. Yeah, and the the, the those are all you know I think relevant considerations. And again, understand that none of these factors, you know, are, you know, just sort of universal in their application. They're all point in time. And so what is perhaps not an issue on Monday might be an issue on Tuesday, you know, because if Monday there was no decision that was pending that involved these folks, you know. And so if, you know, uh, somebody, you know, basically you know, offers something to me and there's nothing that, you know, precludes me from, uh, you know, uh, participating in whatever the offer was, but then all of a sudden the circumstances change later on, well, that's part of what we're talking about as well, too. But again, if we approach ethics this... Ethics are circumstantial? Yes. And so, well, no, I'm not saying that ethics are circumstantial. I'm saying that the, 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 the circumstances determine when you have an ethical issue that you need to deal with. Because at the end of the day, you're still going to make a decision. And, you know, that decision, you know, is always going to be dependent upon the circumstance. Because we're saying, if they're not a vendor, and I think this goes back to the point I think that, you know, Tracy was making, does it matter who is giving you the tickets? Because if it doesn't matter who is giving you the tickets, but that is important. Because if there's somebody that you do business with, that's a lot different than someone just John Q. Public saying, you know, Michelle, you 
I, I appreciate the, what you do for the board, so I'd like for you to do this. I, I do see yeah. the distinction, yeah. and I suppose I raise the issue about the golf is because generally, and this has been my experience over some 20, some 30 years as working as a superintendent, that most of the vendors who support those tournaments do business with the school systems or with the hospitals or whatever. So there clearly is, in my view, a conflict of interest. Well, we do this for the foundation. That's, that's what I was going to say. We take all the boxes, all <laughs> the tickets, anything we can get from the supervisors and, and the guy who brings Coca-Cola to the hospital, uh, or whatever it is, um, get, he participates in the, he's on the board that's yeah, the right. power. of the foundation. So, yeah, our foundation doesn't seem to have to follow the Well, but, but there's a firewall. We have a separate board. There's nothing yes. you're, the trustees can do to the foundation to make us do anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but again, it but still gets to the if, point if at the, the end. the contractor is giving a lot of money to the gala, gala, you say it, and, uh, and we see them there, and then their contract is up for a vote in front of us to increase it by a half a million dollars. Is that... But I, think that we, I mean, that's not a direct, you know, uh, influence yeah. peddling, so, but it is, it is, it is influence. I mean, we, yeah. we, we know, like, oh, you're... Can I just say though? I think. I think. Oh, let's let, 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 here. So I, I think that this, this is so tough. Right? Um, you, there's, there's no, I don't think it's. In, I don't think it's possible to avoid an ethical conflict. So I think we're trying to look at like you know, can I walk a line in the course of my discharge of my duties where ethics would never come into play because I would just do everything that would, I wouldn't do anything. Meaning like right. other than yeah. that, then I think. You can't actually conduct business that way. I right. think you actually will have this. And the other thing I think is, is there's a continuum of an ethical fiber in our country, right? So, so something that may appear unethical to somebody who is hyper sort of, you know, I am, uh, I am a black or white person, will not necessarily appear unethical to someone who understands the nuances of actually how things work. Yeah, yeah there's just right. like so much gray here. Obviously, there are some probably. I would say, you know, 90, 90 plus percent of people would say, if you took something, some vendor put something right in your pocket, right? Like you specifically, not said I gave your organization anything or I gave an organization that supports your organization something, but you specifically, like, it'd be something like every, and then you made a decision. Uh, I think yeah. most people would say that sure. has the appearance of Yeah, right. Yeah. But if it's the other things, like let's take the foundation example. So you have a vendor who gives money to the foundation, who's putting on an event to raise money for your organization. And then you, this is, this is where I think Mike says the context uh, uh, vary, or matters. You didn't participate in that golf event. That golf event is not put on by that vendor. The vendor sort of sponsors it, certainly helps to subsidize some of these. But then you pay for your own round of golf. Even though that vendor gave money and some of those proceeds they go to an organization that supports this organization in some way, there's so many sort of levels of like like separation between that that I think the degree of anybody who was actually uh, would find that to be an ethical conflict, they'd, have, they'd be really hard for us to try to make that case. doesn't mean they couldn't, but it'd be really hard for us to convince I think, most people that, that there was a, the, the explicit sole reason or major reason for you participating in this event was because that vendor then had a contract coming before your organization for which you made the decision to support. So I think it's like 
there are gradations of this that I, I also think there's safety in, safety in the example that you use that there's safety in numbers so so a vendor paying for a golf ground for four people mm -hmm. is a lot different than a vendor supporting a golf round where you're raising money for a foundation and both public and private people attend and there's 150 <coughs> people there. Yeah. I think those are significantly different yeah. in relationship to to the ethical responsibilities that yeah. you're talking about. And, and, and that sort of goes to this piece here, this point here, okay, is again, are we talking about something which is unique, you know, sort of set aside, or are we talking about something that has more general application, okay? And so if someone takes me to lunch, that's a lot different than someone taking 40 employees right. of the organization to lunch. Right. So a supervisor also, giving a trustee a ticket is, is, a, is different, and the context is important too. If that supervisor also gives tickets to other public officials, other public staff, and this is really, you know, you, you're like, this is not something that's targeted directly at me for some presumed either current or future thing, then I think you have the ability to say, that, that that certainly plays into it as well too. So let me so <laughs> let, let let's let's move on here, and we're going to pick up some of the questions or issues that are coming up, and some of the other stuff that we're going to talk about. But I did want to just you know make this one point that there are some times you know where there may be an legal obligation to participate in something. And so then, you know, notwithstanding the fact that otherwise you would see a conflict situation, you know, that can be an exception as well, too. You must play golf. So the question came up, okay, what do you do if there is a conflict, okay? So I think one of the most important principles to keep in mind about conflicts of interest, okay, is, again, the... The problem with a conflict is that not only that it influences improperly a decision, but it has the appearance to do that. And so if it's not an actual conflict, okay, then you are worried about the, you know, the appearance. So one way that you can always sort of mitigate you know, any negative consequences of the appearance is disclosure. So even if it's a situation which may be questionable, if I am disclosing it to the public, then I have mitigated some of the negative consequences or some of the negative connotation of that conflict. Because now the public knows exactly what the relationship is between me and somebody else, and I'm not hiding that. Because part of what you know, leads to you know, improper decision making is that you're hiding what your true interests are, what your true motivations are. And so if somebody, you know, has, you know, given me something or they're, you know, I have a relationship and I've disclosed that relationship, I'm less vulnerable to the attack that I am doing something in an underhanded fashion as far as it goes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, re, you know, disclosing it, okay, automatically, you know, gets you one step further away from the possibility that you're doing something, you know, which might be considered <coughs> unethical. Disqualification, okay, occurs where there is an actual conflict of interest. If there is an actual conflict of interest, then you must disqualify yourself from that decision. If there is the appearance of a conflict of interest, you should consider whether you disqualify yourself from that decision because, again, the whole point of this is we don't want people with improper motives being involved in the decision-making process. 
And when we say disqualification, it typically means that you're not going, not only do you not participate in the decision, meaning that you're not there for the discussion, you get up and leave the room, you don't, you know, uh, communicate with other members of the board about that particular decision. And then you certainly you don't vote on it as well, too. Okay, and so if there is, in fact, you know, a conflict of interest as defined by the FPPC, and I say as defined by the FPPC because in a moment I'm going to take what has been a very simple, straightforward discussion, okay, and really make it complicated, okay, then you have to disqualify yourself. And if not, here's the penalty for failing to do that, okay? And this penalty, okay, is your, the individual penalty, Okay, understand it creates an even larger penalty for the organization because now we have to determine what to do with that decision. Do we need to unwind something because it was impacted, you know, by the fact that somebody, you know, had participated it uh, improperly? So let's take another situation here. Okay, clickers ready. Trustee A owns a company that sells medical tests, equipment, supplies to physician groups. One of her biggest clients is going to have a $3 million contract with AHS. So, I'm going to give you a couple of moments to think about this before I hit the button because 15 seconds is probably not enough to decide. Okay, got 15 seconds to decide. is up. Let's see what we did with this. I am going to predict one answer in each of them. I'm, I'm predicting 33%, 33%, 33%. Ah! Ah! <laughs> so, but there is a little bit of a disagreement there. So those, anybody who said that there was a conflict, or even if you didn't say that, what causes this to be a conflict? What are the factors which make this a conflict? Fiduciary owner. Okay, so because you're an owner. Okay. And then there is a possibility of not just this contract, but all of the you know ripple effect or other. I feel like then there's a definite conflict, not just in this decision, but because it's you're doing business. Okay. You're getting income. Okay. So you have a public official, you have some decision making going on there, you have a financial interest, you're talking, and you're talking about not only a business investment interest, but a money interest. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at is it reasonable, material, foreseeable, mm -hmm. all of those you know, seem to play in there in some fashion as well, too. Um, but it's arm's length. I mean, it's more than arm's length. Okay. And the question of arm's length goes both to is the conflict or not, or what can be done about it, okay? So, so I do think that this, you know, clearly creates a conflict situation. If, and, and I think it's an actual conflict, uh, although, you know, I would also, you know, be satisfied, you know, with simply saying that it's the appearance of a conflict, okay? And so this is probably a situation where Trustee A would want to recuse you know, uh, herself from the decision, you know, because it does violate the, uh, the FPPC rule. Or his self. Well, in this case, I said Trustee A was a her. Or oh, her? Yes. So. <clears throat> what, uh, if, what if the title is a senior executive of a company with a contract for the health system versus an owner? 
an owner has 100% stake in the benefit of a contract. Mm -hmm. The CEO is a paid or a senior executive is a paid official to manage a business and to bring in business. Mm -hmm. So that, that can make a difference. And that actually sort of is a nice little segue to this, which makes it even more difficult for us. Okay. So government code section 1090. Okay. Government section, uh, government code section 1090 is separate and apart, you know, from uh, the FPPC laws. And basically this says that you shall not be financially interested in any contract made in your official capacity or by any body or board of which you are a member. So what if I'm uh, elected, what if I'm on the board and I'm a member of um, SEIU? Should I not vote on any contract? Yes. For SEIU? You shall not be financially interested in any contract made in your official capacity or by any body or board of which you are a member. And I have here, uh, okay, uh, these little things referring to Draco. Anyone know what Draco is? Have you ever, are you familiar with the term draconian? Okay. This is the ultimate draconian law. Okay. It is a law which is without you know, for the most part, context, okay, to deal with situations which can be problematic. And so the question, Anthony, is if you have a financial interest, okay, then you cannot participate in that decision. And what makes Government Code Section 1090 even more difficult to deal with is that when we're talking about uh, public officials as opposed to employees, the conflict is not only for that individual trustee, but it's a conflict for the entire board. And the organization cannot enter into that contract. Say that again. So, for example, you know, if it's a situation, you know, where I have a conflict of, let's say, Michelle, that you have a conflict of interest, you know, with regard to some decision. Under the FPPC rule, okay, if you determine there's a conflict, you can recuse yourself, you know, from that decision. However, if we're talking about this type of contract, okay, or this type of situation, okay, then that conflict is not only for you, but it conflicts the entire board. And basically it means the entire board, the organization cannot contract or enter into that contract. We go through that and give examples because I, I that to me is... I mean, uh, I, that one, that one seems to me to be consistently in practice violated or... So that would mean that I'm married to Dave Stein, who's the regional administrator of CMS, so I basically, no one can make a decision with regard to CMS on this board because... So, so here we go. So today you have a contract renewal with GRM Information Management Services, okay? If any one of you, okay, let's say that one of you was the president of GRM Information Management Services. That clearly is a conflict under the eight factors that we talked about. Of the okay, individual. Of the individual. Right. So the problem here is that under Government Code Section 1090, okay, which is a different issue, okay, it's a different type of conflict of interest issue. And it basically says that if there is a financial interest in any contract made by the organization. So we're talking about specifically contracts. We're talking about specifically a financial interest by somebody who was on the board. I, I'm sorry. 
Well, well let, let me let me finish with the example here, and then you know, so on. So, if any member of the board, okay, had the requisite financial interest in GRM information management services, then this organization could not contract with GRM information management services. The requisite financial interest that we're talking about, okay, and this goes to you know the the question that Anthony raised here, okay. <coughs> is there's various factors. So if, I, if one of you is the owner of GRM Information Management Services, then, we, then this organization cannot contract with GRM Information Manager Services while you are a member of this board. If instead of GRM Management Services, it's a contract with you know, the Alameda County Health Care Services Agency, okay, and let's say Dr. Clannon was a member of this board or someone from the county was a member of this board, then you would still have, you have somebody who's a member of an organization which is financially interested in the contract, but there's an exception because that's a public official. And in this instance, because it, if it's a private company that we're talking about, and there is a person on the board who has a financial interest in that private company, then this board, this organization, cannot contract with that company. That's what government section, government code section 1090 is the restriction. And, and it's a draconian restriction because it doesn't allow for recusal, okay? It doesn't allow for that person just to simply not participate in the decision. It requires the entire organization to recuse itself from that relationship with that organization. It's directly with that con with that specific contract door, right? Yes. So, so I think if I understand Anthony's question, um, if you go back to your example about the trustee having a, <clears throat> I think it said, did it say that that person was an owner of that company? That yes. Yes. Okay, so the trustee was an owner of the company, and the company was his name coming to us. No, the company was. No, contract. That's what I thought it was a client. Yeah. Yes. So, so what he was saying was instead of the trustee, because you're talking about kind of a, a this is the arm's length part of it, the, the trustee's company is not coming to us for a contract. The client of uh, the trustee's company is coming for it. So he said rather than that person being the owner, what if they were a senior executive? So let's let's take let's let's put a little bit more detail to it. Yeah, example. So let's say your GRM contract, the one you just described. Uh -huh. So GRM is before us today for a contract. Let's say that, unbeknownst to us, GRM um, um, has their banking relationship with his bank. Yep. And he's a senior executive for his bank. Mm -hmm. Does 1090 kick in then and we can't do it? Are, are we contracting with the or bank? is it just because, no, we're contracting with GRM. Then, then 1090... 1090 only applies to the contract with GRM. Okay, the issue of that relationship between GRM and any of its business partners, that is the FPPC analysis of whether or not there is a conflict of interest. And that's what would determine whether or not Anthony might have a conflict. But in that particular circumstance, Anthony would have the opportunity to recuse himself from it, and it would not affect the rest of the board. The difference between 1090 and the FPPC is that this is a contract with that this is a conflict with the business that is right there before the board. It's not a conflict based upon the relationship itself. Okay. So what? What is no, um, the, the board has a, has a contract with the city of Oakland? Do, do Joe and I 
resign or something? Again, there is an exception, okay, and there are some exceptions, you know, to 1090, some very narrow exceptions to 1090, okay, but one of the exceptions is if we're talking about public officials, okay, and so if the, or excuse me, you know, a contract with another public agency. Generally speaking, contracts with other public agencies don't fall under this problem with government code section, or government code section 1090. Well, you mentioned the, you mentioned the county, healthcare services agency. Yeah, and uh, and what I was saying is that that would not create a problem okay, so I, 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 because it's another public issue. Well, I, I get so why you have to recuse yourself, but we do we have a contract with OCAR. Okay, so good. So you walk right into it. So this is good. Okay, the door is open. You've walked in, and I so so that. This raises a question here, and I'm and Barry. I don't mean to put you on the spot, and I'm basically, you know, I'm not throwing you. You know, there's no bus stop here, so you don't have to worry about this. You know, this is going to work out. Okay, okay. So let's go back here and look at this. You should not be financially interested in. Okay, you know, Oak Care is our uh, um, uh, our uh, provider group. Okay. Oak Care and you know a number of the providers who work for Oak Care are also owners of Oak Care, okay. And Dr. Zworthian is you know with Oak Care Group. She's one of those members. And so you have this: you shall not be financially interested in, okay, as an owner. She's financially interested in that contract, and that contract is with this organization. Mm -hmm. So that is the quintessential, okay, Government Code Section 1090 issue. Okay, that is precisely what this is designed to address. Fortunately for this, there's an exception, okay, which is applicable to it. But that's precisely the type of thing is that you can't have a board member, you know, who has the, uh, the, that type of relationship with a organization with whom the organization's contracting. There's just, in government code section 1090, the principle there is that you just can't get around the appearance of some impropriety in that particular type of relationship, okay? And except, so, except, except yeah, he's about to share the exception. So, and these are the things, you know. So, it, is there financial interest? And you know, ironically enough, okay, the Eden Township v. Sutter case, which is our Eden Township case, this is the you know the dispute between Sutter, which ultimately ended up you know creating this issue for us. This is actually the case which describes what constitutes a financial interest. And typically, you know, the issue which comes up is, so, okay, so financial interest. The reason public agencies, okay, are an exception is that there is, generally speaking, no financial interest, okay, at stake there. You are public employees, and so you're not financially benefiting from anything that you do with respect to your jobs, you know, with the city of Oakland or the county or what have you. So there is no financial interest under the... Uh, what Section 1090 requires. What the Eden Township case, one of the issues that came up there is, um, and the idea here is the salary that you receive from the city of Oakland does not create a financial interest which implicates government code Section 1090 because you're public officials. The question that came up in Eden Township is, well, suppose it's a private company. So let's say that you know, you're the vice president of you know, the bank, and we want to have a comp, you know, a contract with the bank. If we would, you know, uh, accept 
you know, provide an exception for a public agency because they're only receiving a salary, shouldn't the same being be to you because you don't own the bank, you're just getting a salary from them. And in this case, basically, they came to the conclusion that the statute provided an exception for public officials. It doesn't provide that for private entities, and so the salary exception doesn't apply in that particular interest. Okay, is it a financial, is it remote, okay, uh, interest, you know, or is it a statutory non-interest? You know, these are the things that you sort of go through. With respect to our issue with uh, Oak Care, okay, is that there's Health and Safety Code Section 1441.5. And Section 1441.5 essentially provides that to the extent that there is a member of the medical staff who sits on the governing board, you know, of a hospital like ours, then there is not an issue of conflict of interest under Government Code Section 1090. And the reason for that is that you would never get the requisite expertise on governing boards that's necessary to make these boards effective. And so they recognize, and there's... There's two or three different. <laughs> so there's there's two or three different you know sections, and one's applicable to you know there's one for you know county hospitals, there's another one for city hospitals and healthcare districts or whatever. Okay, but the idea is is that you know the government you know uh, the legislature you know recognized that there are some situations where there is an inherent conflict of interest because of the way the board needs to be configured. And as a healthcare organization, you know, you know, looking at you know TJC and the conditions, conditions of part, uh, participation under uh, you know Medicare, Medi-Cal, having a member of the medical staff on the board is a, is a necessity. And the Stark rules. Say again. Stark Yes, and so if we have if we have to have a member of the medical staff on the board, but we can't employ physicians, you know, because there's this little rule about the the corporate practice of medicine, which says that you can, a hospital can't employ physicians, so you have to contract with them. We're excluded. But, yeah, but you know, looking at any other hospital, you know, uh, so so that's why. And so again, I'm not. I didn't. I wasn't trying to uh, make it difficult for you, but I, I I thought that this is helpful in terms of understanding just how important this government code section 1090 rule is, because the consequences, you know, for a violation of 1090, are quite high, and you know, you know, people, you know, have definitely gone to jail, you know, behind this. The other thing which is even more important is that the contract which is entered into under those is void and the money has to go back. And you can just imagine the consequences that that would have for an organization, you know, if you have some significant contractual relationship that all of a sudden comes underneath this. But again, you know, it sort of points out the, un, you know, the importance of understanding the relationships, you know, between board members and outside organizations and how those outside organizations uh, interact with us. Maria. So, given that, you know, it, it probably, it's interesting. You've got a code to support what, you know, we're experiencing with having a medical um, director, staff person on our board. I would just offer, we should never have anybody on our board that has anything to do with an IT technology firm. Because... Uh, just like my other board, we're really super concerned about some of the evolution of IT issues that impact what we're doing, so we're very careful about that. But think about where we're headed in medical technology, in medical, uh, you know, 
devices and our, our IT support, our infrastructure, that's a huge body of, of products that will influence us. And I don't foresee somebody having any kind of exclusion around IT, but it would behoove us never to have someone who has any connection with the, you know, the, the medical records companies, any of the medical device companies. What about pharmaceuticals? Well, yeah. and, and, and I think that what I would say is that, you know, I think that that is, that's an appropriate consideration, but I think I would broaden that out, is that, you know, just understanding that in looking at candidates for the board, you need to keep this in mind. You know, is yeah. what is the potential that there yeah. might be some conflict, and and because understand that oftentimes you know the you know there is a relationship you know or you know skill experience piece which goes with you know evaluating sure. board members and their qualifications, but you have to understand that you can't go too far in terms of creating you know a relationship you know by having someone on the board because of government code section 1090. And, and you know, it's that on our effect. application, some kind of clarity statement around that on our on our uh, application for board members. Well, so it, cut, it cuts both ways, though, right? So, so if you are, I think what, what I hear Mark saying is uh, there is a need to have, uh, and, and I say on behalf of the, the organization, uh, some expertise on the board that would help to guide the leadership of the organization to make informed decisions around what's happening. So you want that sort of diversity of perspective, but the trade-off both for the organization and for that those individuals willing to bring their perspective in the form of trustees is uh, the ability to conduct business with whoever else they represent. So if there were, and we are you know, making some pretty substantial, I need to make some pretty substantial investments in EHR and other sort of technology down the road, if somebody, I, I wouldn't necessarily say from, from Cerner or Epic, uh, because those are kind of way too deep in it. But, but let's say it was someone from you know, uh, Google or some other sort of small IT company that understands healthcare IT and was willing to do this, um, could, could be a great, great source of insight for the organization. Uh, we're willing to be on the board. I would, I would be concerned if you sort of summarily say those individuals can't serve. Uh, we would just have to be clear, and they would have to understand by virtue of this training. We couldn't do any business. That's right. With right. Them. That's right. right. So, right. so we wouldn't be saying, you know, no idea. That's right. Person. That's right. Saying, you understand as a consequence of this, we'd never do business. That's right. Yeah. So I, it just needs to be clarified right. on the on an yes. application. Right. But, but you're right about the expertise. Yep. Yeah. 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 Joe. So uh, two things. One, um, in the case that Tracy mentioned of being a member of, say, SEIU, but I would say more more typically, let's say I was a city attorney. Uh, I'm represented by Local 21, that's the International Professional Engineers, whatever. I used to be in that union. We have uh, Local 21 members here. We make, we, we, we grant, oh, you 21? All right, we, we grant authority on the contracts, but because it's a separate chapter, there is no direct economic gain, therefore there is no conflict, correct? I don't know that I would just dismiss it quite that simply. You know, you know, a union is a union, and even though there are different bargaining units and things along those lines. So, it, but again, it is a 1090 issue, and and again, that's the important thing. You know, well, is well, uh, well, well, the, well. The point I'm saying is that it's you know, if you have 
any sort of relationship, you know, between someone with whom the organization is contracting and, you know, that, you know, there's somebody who has the requisite interest there, then you have a 1090 issue. So if it's a contract with a union and one of you is a member of a union, that same union, it's an issue. Even though it's a completely separate chapter. Okay. That's how the issue might get resolved. Okay, but again, the, the important point at which I, you know, am really trying to impress with you here is understanding the issue, and and quite frankly, not attempting to sort of resolve the issue on your own because these are too difficult, you know, for, you know, just to sort of say, okay, well, because of this, it's not that. You know, I think it's a much, you know, more involved analysis. And what I need is, you know, for you all to understand why it's an issue and when it potentially is, so that you can raise it so that, you know, we can get the requisite expertise, you know, to get it resolved. And sometimes that might be me, sometimes that might be outside counsel, you know, sometimes it might be actually going to the FPPC, you know, because they will give us an advisory, you know, opinion on uh, on some of these things. So one more comment and yeah, we'll need to move on. Another question, yeah, I mean, uh, very different. So let's say I'm not the vice president of a company that has a contract with this, but I have a mutual fund, and among the many, you know, things that invest in, it, if I buy stock in one of these companies that randomly has a contract with us, and I don't even realize it. Uh, if you don't realize it, it, it falls it, underneath this piece here. Okay, the question of whether or not we're talking about a remote interest, whether it's a direct interest or indirect interest. Okay, so generally speaking, stock ownership, you know, even actual stock ownership as opposed to mutual fund ownership, is typically not going to okay. create the sort of interest that we're talking about as far as uh, is potential it, conflict. But perception, and right. so I would, if I if I knew I had stock in this company, I would recuse myself. Even though, even though there is a remote chance because there is an appearance, or of, if you bought shares in the company before bought, a decision well, right, on a contract, exactly, and, clearly and, exactly. and part of you know what you're looking at is what have you disclosed on your Form 700 because mm -hmm. that's where the appearance will begin, and so then that sort of you know points to the importance of you know filling out the Form 700 appropriately. But we're going to get to that. So let's move it along because, believe it or not, there's more. <laughs> so now we're going to get to the hard stuff, okay? Now that we've gotten those easy things out of the way, okay? So bribery, I'm not going to spend much time here. If I'm, I'm sort of hopeful that all of you sort of get this without <laughs> me needing to go into, you know, what, what constitutes bribery, okay? Uh, understand, you know, this is big stuff. And so there are, you know, what we've been talking about mostly up to this point are state laws, okay? But there are honest services laws, you know, which is a series of federal laws, you know, which basically, you know, were passed several years back, you know, that cover a number of things, you know, that are covered sort of individually in state laws. Um, anybody know who this is? Leland Yee. So Leland Yee. Anybody know who this is? No. And Yes, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Skilling from Enron, and okay, and Andrew Samuels. You know, so all of these guys, you know, were prosecuted under the honest service laws. Okay, now it's interesting, you know, because the 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 case with Skilling actually went up to the Supreme Court, and it basically sort of restricted the honest services laws to simply bribery and kickback type actions, okay? But I just wanted to put this in there to understand that there are federal statutes which are applicable here. And so the federal government, okay, meaning the FBI or the U.S. attorney, you know, will take an interest in certain of these cases. And understand that, you know, both Jew and Yee were prosecuted, you know, both in state court and federal court for their violations, 
you know, and so when they were violating, you know, government code 1090 and the other things, they were also prosecuted under the honest service laws as well, too. Well, you know, the, so he hasn't been prosecuted yet, okay? And, and, but it wasn't and I, bribery yeah. or kickbacks either. He wasn't accused of getting it. No, he was just accused of creating a culture. Isn't it just fraud? It's yeah, fraud. It's well, maybe there's a different stuff. Yes, and, well, and, and see, in, in, I mean, fraud is unethical, okay? And you know, what we're sort of focusing on here are some of the more you know, structural pieces yeah. you know, about it. You know, and, and basically, so, and I'll just go ahead and say it. So don't commit fraud, okay? <laughs> Either. <laughs> in addition oh, to all of this, that. don't commit any fraud. Oh, well, I guess our students are going to have to go. Huh? What constitute kickbacks? Are they only financial, or can they be other things? They can be other things. They can be, you know, tickets, you know, can to events. Sex? It can be <laughs> vacations. Tickets to the Warriors. Any anything that would create the appearance that the decision making is being influenced by virtue of something that they're receiving. It's a personal benefit. It, can sex be sex? It, uh, it could kickback. be. It could uh, be considered that it, because again, it creates the appearance. You know, you if. Share something else? if and to be clear that was Anthony Weiner okay uh, so so it, it can it, again it's the it's the notion that someone's independence is being influenced by virtue of some improper relationship and that improper relationship being that they're being given something and what is more improper than what I suggested right, precisely precisely just wanted to confirm that we did check and we have no yeah. We Thank you. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah, so we do not. So. Uh, I do. So again, so very. So very quickly, you know, these these are the points again that I'm just, you know, I need you to be on the lookout for this issue. I need you to be sensitive and attuned to this issue. I also want you to understand that you know, as difficult as the discussion has been about you know what's this and what's that, okay. We can resolve these things, or we can work our way through them, but I need to know about them. And I need to know about them sooner rather than later so I can help you with them. And I don't want anybody on the board, you know, being concerned that, you know, they're sort of sitting there, you know, in some sort of limbo thinking that they violated the law. So, you know, that's the important things in terms of what we talked about there. So now let's get on to uh, something which is a little bit, uh, like I say, you know, oftentimes is as problematic. So, next question. A trustee receives each of the items below, Okay. Each of the items below, a bottle of wine from the president of X-Corp, happens to be an AHS vendor. It's a longtime personal friend. Bottle of wine from president of X-Corp, an AHS vendor, but in this instance, you don't know President X. Uh, tickets to a Warriors game from the president, uh, from the president of X-Corp. The tickets were won in a charity raffle. So the president of X-Corp entered a charity raffle, won the tickets, gave them over to one of you. Okay, that's the circumstance. D, a crystal vase from the medical staff recognizing outstanding service to AHS. So, you know, our medical staff, you know, or uh, basically, you know, Trustee Lawrence, you know, when she's stepping down in 2022 as president, you know, of the huh. board, 
Um, and, <laughs> and they give her a crystal vase. Is that a gift? Okay? So, you ready? You got 15 seconds. I don't want a crystal vase. Oh, I'm sorry. Which is not a gift. Which is not a gift. Were the tickets won by the Well, it doesn't matter now because your time's up. What? What? Yeah. Wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. Wait, because that says what is... Oh. Not a gift. Which is not Well, the question was what is not a gift. And right. These are the answers. So, uh, no one thought that the wine... Why is the wine from the ex-court guy not a gift? Well, we, none of us thought it was not a gift. It is, it, is, it is a gift. It is a gift. Oh, are you all saying it is a gift? Yes. 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 This is the oh, excuse me, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're saying that's this is a gift, yeah. and we're saying that this is a gift, yes. and not everyone thought that this is a gift. Why? What's the difference between the tickets to the Warriors game? Because I got it. <laughs> are you, are you? No, no, I was protecting so myself. My, my so this is Michelle. Hmm? I think you did it. The raffle is the raffle. In the crystal vase, everyone felt that that's not a gift. Yes. Okay. So, this is not a gift. Okay. And we'll talk about why it is not. This is a gift. See, that's that was my This is a gift, and we'll talk about why this is a gift. Yes. This is a gift, and we'll talk about why it is a gift. And this might be a gift, and we'll talk about why it might or might not be a gift. Okay? So, let's just, so why don't you go ahead and jot those down, okay? Just sort of jot those down to make sure that we cover them. Um, yeah, can I feel... disclose? I got some wine from a raffle. And you're saying a gift a under the terms of this ethics discussion? Yes. Because a bottle of wine is a gift. I mean, you know. Yes. So... So what we're talking about here, okay, are perks of office, okay, and the notion that you should not receive, you know, this is a public office and getting stuff, okay, is not the point of being on the board, okay? No one comes onto the board is like, oh, this is great, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to all the, you know, the basketball games or whatever. So we're talking about various types of things. We're going to talk about gifts, honor, honoraria, free discount transportation, and then the use of public resources here. So gifts, okay? Public officials, okay, that's all of you, okay, or anyone who's designated by our conflict of interest code. A gift is anything that confers a personal benefit, okay, anything that confers a personal benefit for which you do not provide something of equal value. So then sex so, wouldn't be a gift because you're giving it back, right? So, again, just understand, if you don't give some value for it, then it is a gift if it has some sort of value, Okay. The limit on gifts is that, and a gift is defined as anything over $50. Okay, so if it is nominal value is declared to be up to $50, so anything which has more than nominal value that confers a personal benefit for which you do not provide something of equal value. There is a limit of $460 per source per calendar year. Meaning that if any one entity, okay, or individual provides you more than four hundred sixty dollars 
in gifts during the course of a year, then you have violated the law. And there are some things you can do to avoid that violation, but that's what the violation is. You have to report any gift worth $50 or more. Any gift, more than 50 bucks, has to be reported. Okay? Annually or at the moment that it is? Annually. On your, that's on your Form 700. Okay? Michael, I'm confused by what you just said, report a gift and then number two that it's something that you gave a personal value. So if, for example, I bought those, the raffle tickets and I paid $100 for the raffle ticket and I got a bottle of wine that was $50 or $60, let's say, for clarification, I paid more for those tickets than I, than I did for the bottle of wine. It's not a gift. Not a gift. Yes. That was my interpretation. Yes. Yes. If you've given something of value and you get something in return, then that's not a gift. Got it. Okay. Well, if you only bought a $10 raffle ticket, you won a $1,000 prize. Then it's a gift. Well, and, and again, you know, I, again, keep, <laughs> keep focus on the principle, okay, that if you're giving something of value, okay, and you're getting something generally in return, then it's probably not a gift. If it's at some extreme, so if you buy a $10 raffle ticket and you get a $50, you know, bottle of wine, I would still not consider that a gift, okay, because the whole point of buying a raffle ticket is that you're going to get something in return for it. On the other hand, you know, if it's some circumstances, you know, which, you know, you give someone $10 and they give you a car, <laughs> okay, well, that seems a little off, okay, as far as it goes. So you have to report anything worth $50 or more, and this is anyone who's required to uh, file the Form 700. And there's several you know, separate rules for gifts to and from the uh, agencies, okay? Because if something is given to AHS and then is given to you, okay, that's different than that thing being given to you directly. Yes, sir? So if I were a better golfer and I hit one of those four-in-ones and won the car, car... Well, see, I, I would tend to think that that's, you know, not, you've provided something of value. You know, your golf expertise, such as it were. So, but, but, you know, this, <laughs> So, but this really sort of falls into what we in the law refer to is the rule of impossibility. This, this, that ain't gonna happen. So we're just gonna go right over. You know, to, uh, I actually, wait, that was actually a question there. So, the golf tournament. He enters the golf tournament mm -hmm. for our foundation. He has a stroke of great play that day. Wins the game, hole in one. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. he gets the car. Yes, he could. I'm not saying he should, but I'm saying he could. <laughs> okay. okay. And again, th these are situations no. which uh, no. I, I, I will. I will. You have to report it on your taxes. Though. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, and again, we're not talking about tax reporting. Okay. And again, I just want to be clear in terms of your appreciating. Okay. That if that some of this give and flow ebb and take, that there's issues associated to it, okay? 
And sometimes it's a little bit more complicated, you know, because if you, you know, enter the golf, you know, tournament, you know, pay for the car and win the car, that's not a gift. You know, there are still some appearance issues that surround that, okay? And, and those appearance issues in and of themselves may, you know, create a situation where that gift should not be accepted, where the advice would be not to accept that gift. So that's why I don't want you, you know, to... Uh, to get wrapped around the axle of trying to sort of sort out, is this, you know, again, you know, there's, you know, some very odd circumstances, you know, which, you know, quite frankly, I'm just not, you know, inclined to try and, you know, on, at the fly tell you yes or no. What I'm more concerned about is the more ordinary circumstances and transactions, okay, that go on. And understanding that, you know, if it's something that you're not doing anything for it, whatever that thing thing may be, paying for it, buying a raffle ticket, working, what have you, then that's the situation, you know, which is, you know, should be of concern. And Mike, I apologize, I have to leave. Understood. The um, question I have is, if, if we get into one of these situations where we're questioning whether or not, you know, we might be violating one of these rules, we should pick up the phone and call you and say, you know, this is the situation, what should we do or what should I do? Absolutely, and understand that you know there's sort of two elements there too. I'm going to tell you what I think should be done, and I'm going to be telling you that from the context of protecting the organization. You know, you're, you know, these are person. You know, some of this is personal. You know, because you know you can certainly you know go different. But part of my job here is to help you all understand and navigate through these things. Okay, and I'm always you know here and available for that. So let's go. Let's you know flesh this out a little bit more. So. A local official of NAMI, uh, the National Association of Mental Illness. <laughs> Mental Illness, excuse me, I just blanked on that all of a sudden, invites a trustee to lunch and offers to pay for the lunch. Okay? A NAMI official, let's say this, Joe Rose. Let's, okay. let's say, so Joe Rose invites you to lunch, offers to pay for the lunch. It's a lunch. Where are we going for lunch? Boulevard, Boulevard in San Francisco. So it's clearly over 50 bucks, okay? This is a gift, and the trustee must decline the offer, meaning the offer to pay. That's A. B, this is a gift, and the trustee may accept the offer to pay, meaning you can let him pay for it. C, this is not a gift, and the trustee may accept the offer because it's not a gift. Or D, it does not matter if it is a gift. Trustees should not accept free meals. Are you all ready? You got 15 seconds. And it's $50 lunch. Yeah, it's more than 50. points we can, you know, <laughs> lock arms around. So, anyone have any thoughts or comments on these results? I answered based on, the, on what I think I heard yesterday, that we have a, a, a contract with them right now. That I think Behavioral Healthcare Services Agency has a contract oh, with them. Oh, not us. So that would be, oh. that might change. Yeah. Oh. And I think of NAMI as a, as a Policy advocacy organization, not a contractor, which is maybe okay. my mistake, which is why I say it's a gift. 
have accepted means you have to report it. Because I, I think of NAMI on a broader level than having a contractual I relationship. I see. I mean, they're an organization that represents the interests of, of mm -hmm. mentally ill people and their families. Mm -hmm. But they do provide right. services for which they And I never thought of them that way until the showed up with that. From contract. us? Yeah. Not from us. Although, actually, you know, this is another interesting point. Sometimes we have contracts that are below or that don't exceed my authority. Uh, so they would have to ask in order to know that, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, if it's a contract under a million dollars, you all might not know that we have. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But that, on one level, that shouldn't matter because. All of our trustees have fully filled out their Form 700s, and so we would know if we're contracting with anyone with whom they had a relationship. Correct. We should. That's right. Yes. So, this is not correct. Okay. It is a gift. Or this is not, you know, this is not wholly correct. It's, it is a gift. Okay. It's, there's nothing that says it has to be declined. Okay. This is correct, it's a gift, and it may be accepted. Again, I'm not saying you have to accept it, I'm saying it may. And the point I'm making here is that even though it's a gift, there is some discretion as to whether or not you accept the offer or not accept the offer. Both are right. Both of, both of these, no, I don't think this, no. this is really correct because you, you're not no, required no. to decline it. You have a choice there. And, and yeah, the point I'm trying to make choice. here, you know, the point I'm trying to make here is that you can accept gifts, okay? You know, just because something is a gift doesn't mean that it should be, you know, accepted or not accepted. The point here, and the main point, is, and some of your questions have sort of swirled around it. Well, do we have a contract with them or is it a contract with someone else? Because that goes to the appearance of are we being improperly influenced? And even though that contract is with the county, not with us, you know, Joe Rose walks in there, you know, in public common and saying, I want you to do this. And then 20 minutes later, you know, you vote to, you know, you know, provide money to one of these mentorship programs or something along those lines. Well, that's precisely what this is all about. Did you vote for that because he took you to lunch? Or did you vote for that because it was the right thing to do? So that's what I'm saying is that even, you know, it has to be a, an affirmative choice, Okay in terms of thinking about whether to accept it or not accept There's no rule which says you do or you don't. You have to think about it. You have to go through the thought, you know, about whether or not it creates something which might be problematic. Okay? This one here, okay, is incorrect, okay, because it is a gift. It is something of, uh, of uh, value for which no equal value is being given. My time. Say again? My time. And so I value my... I didn't vote for that one, by the way. I just wanted okay. to know that's not my okay. answer. But, and, and, but, 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 but this has giving, to be something affirmative, okay? Just saying, you know, because I take my time and, you know, I, I, I took my time, you know, to go to the Warriors game. That's, you know, time is not enough. You know, it basically has to be something of general value, not just necessarily well, value. Well, I mean, to that's it. a good point, though, because I, I, I've met with um, union reps and with associations and, and with physicians, actually, with members of um, AIM, you know, for coffee or whatever. And now, I don't know, I don't recall who paid, and it wasn't at Boulevard. But, you know, for me, it's always valuable because I get a lot of information that informs my decision about the decisions that, and this isn't in relation to any particular decision, but it's just in 
let's have coffee and talk about things that are going on. I was Susan a member, um, the former rep for the managers. I had coffee with her oh, once or twice. Yeah, okay. and, and, you know, and those are to, that's to to Michelle's point. That those things are, I am sharing information about my thoughts about something, but I'm not, and I'm getting information back about where the where the employees or or contractors or whoever is. Yeah, but but again, you know, I, I think it's from the standpoint of what is a member of the public, how are they going to see this and view this? And I don't think it's, I think you have to approach it more from the standpoint of, you know, okay, how do I justify this? It's, you know, it, it has to be, I think, a little bit more objective in terms of what does this look like? And again, you know, there is no penalty to reporting and disclosing these things other than running up against a limit or going over some right. limit which is there. And if that and if you're making decisions that, you know, on that basis, then again, you know, that's you know somewhat problematic. So so let me you know move on to a couple other things that because I may capture some of you know the answers to questions and we still have you know a bit more material to get through. So so again, is it a personal benefit? Okay. It's a gift if it's food, drink, services, travel, lodging, money, you know, items and things, okay? Here are some exceptions to what constitutes a gift. So, if you know, somebody, you know, a vendor gives me a bottle of wine and I give them a bottle of wine, okay? That's a reciprocal exchange, probably not a gift. You know, you may get into a question of, you know, is it, uh, the, you know, are they equal value or whatever, but, you know, there is an exception which deals with that. You know, if someone invites me to their home, okay, a vendor invites me to their home for a big party, is that a gift? I'm receiving, you know, food, drink, you know, perhaps whatever. Well, probably not, you know, if they are in fact present, okay, and there's other people there, okay, and it's not just, you know, simply for me. There is an exception, you know, when we're talking about things which are prizes and earnings. And so this is where we get into the raffle, you know, thing. If you buy a raffle ticket and you win the raffle, you know, then it probably falls into the prize earnings, you know, exception. A personalized plaque, the crystal vase, okay, if the value is less than $250. If it's, if it's Baccarat, okay, you may have an issue, okay. If it's... You have to ask them how much they paid for it before you can... Yes. Absolutely. But, you know, if it's crystal with a K, then you're probably okay. If it's something which is received at a big event, okay, you go to a conference, there's 4,000 people there, okay, and you reach under your chair and you have the red rose and, you know, you win whatever it is that you win. Okay, informational materials, okay. If it's an inheritance, okay. If it's an act of neighborliness or compassion, okay, your next door neighbor, you know, happens to be, you know, an official with Cerner, okay, you know, your your cat died, you know, they bring you a new cat or something along those lines. What about the reverse? What if we're giving something? Well, then that's their problem. <laughs> no, I, I mean, they're, okay. they're generally, generally speaking, you know, the, the whole question is, are you receiving something? If you're giving something, now if you're giving something, you know, with the expectation of something in return, then that's, you know, potentially problematic. So, uh, Mike, I'm, I'm, I just want to go back to that one. The campaign contribution, so can I even, if I'm, I'm running in two years again, so can I just accept anything and still make any decision on this board and just say, well, it was a campaign contribution? No, so what I'm saying is campaign contributions are not gifts that need to be disclosed. There may be other disclosure obligations for campaign contributions that we're not talking about here, 
But no, there it, are. For, there's other no, uh, no, I'm saying, I, I know there, there are, but what I'm saying is we're only talking about what is a gift in the context of your service as a trustee right now. Whether you have to disclose that is a kind of paying contribution when you run, well, that's a whole, wholly different you know, thing. Some exceptions, okay? Family members can't give you gifts, okay? Because they're family members, okay? There is the BFF exception, okay? That we uh, you know refer to. So if this if there is a long ongoing personal relationship, you know which transcended you know this relationship you know which currently exists, then that would probably keep it from being a gift at that particular time. Okay. Um, if it's a non-agency business relationship, okay. If it's something that you are receiving in, so for example, you know if you have another job and you receive something in the context of that job then it's potentially an exception in that regard uh, as far as it goes. And then, you know, dating relationship, which is sort of like the family member relationship. So, real quick then, Nate Miley, you know, I worked for him for eight years, and we became friends. I mean, he was one of the few people that was at my wedding. He gives me a we wedding know. gift. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> my wife's an introvert. Don't take it personally. It was like family and like, a lot of two friends. Totally kidding. Um, but uh, so if he gives me four Warriors tickets, I don't have to report that because we're old friends. Well, the you know, I I think that in that situation, you know, the question is whether you should report it. Okay, do you have to report it? You know, it probably could fit under the. Uh, but you know, the question is is if this came out after the fact, okay, what is you know your level of comfort? And, and more importantly, what is the level of comfort, you know, for this organization, okay? And is this going to be embarrassing to us, even if we are, you know, ultimately, you know, exonerated from any wrongdoing? And, and again, it's sort of, so that's sort of what goes to the, you know, the piece of... Right, but, but then the other question, though, is like a wedding gift. Isn't there an exception to yes. wedding gift? Yes, yeah, a wedding gift, you know, would fall into that. I thought of, I guess, a weird wedding gift from people that knew I was getting married to. But and again, you know, you sort of need to look at it, you know, because you know, if you know, is a wedding gift, you know, someone gives you a, you know, a boat, well, you, you, know, you, you might sort of wonder, well, why, you know, everyone else, you know. Oh, Mike, thank you. I said, this, boat, is, by the way. this is the uh, the Virginia the, the Virginia governor, thing, right? Yes. Oh, right. Right. Yeah, but they have different ethics rules there. Yeah. Well, yeah. So going back to this question. Yeah. So going back to this question we had earlier. Okay. So the bottle of wine from the president of X Corp. Okay, falls under the BFF exception because it was from a longtime personal friend. The tickets to a Warriors game from president of X Corp. And the president of X Corp. won them in a charity raffle. That's still a gift. Okay. Because even though you have this exception for uh, prizes and earnings. That's an exception if you had won those in the charity raffle. But the fact that this person won them and is now giving them to you, they're still value to you, even though they're not value to, you know, to that individual. And then the last one we had was the crystal vase. And again, that's what goes to you know, how much it actually cost here. Okay. So, a couple of other pieces. Who is the gift to? You, your spouse, your child. Okay. That's an important factor in terms of determining whether or not it's a gift. 
And if it was a receiving an event, you know, there are some exceptions for those. So there's your wedding, you know, other private events, things along those lines. Or maybe restaurant. So, so we could go to Say again? We could go to Boulevard. It's at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. so you, oh, well, you said that one was yeah, good, but you yeah. just have to report it. So... The president of X Corp gives the wife of a trustee two tickets to Cirque du Soleil, and she takes her niece to the show. The president, president of X Corp gives the wife of a trustee two tickets to Cirque du Soleil, and she takes her niece to the show. The trustee must report this on the Form 700. The trustee should report this on the Form 700. The trustee does not have to report this on the Form 700 because he or she did not attend the show. Or the trustee does not have to report this on the Form 700 because the tr president and the wife are old college roommates. Wait a minute, that's uh -huh. G. So, so oh, I'm that's smart. I'm smart. Look. A, B, B, C. Yeah. Yeah, you, you I two, Oh, okay, you can go. <laughs> okay, now that that was a mistake. So, so, so this, so this will actually be to make it even easier. This is one, one, two, three, or four. Okay, so vote away. Yeah, I'm not a Jeopardy returning champion, for sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, I think this is correct. I think this is also correct. Okay? Because even if there is some question, I think this is the sort of thing that you would want to disclose. And to avoid any possibility. I think that this is incorrect. This is absolutely incorrect, okay, because it's not a question of whether or not the person attended. They got the tickets. And then this right here could also be correct as well, too, okay? Because if you receive the tickets, okay, or, the, you know, the tickets, you know, actually, you know, were used by the wife, and there's an exception that applies in that fashion, then it could work. I would tend to, though, do this here. Because just the appearance of it, you know, and depending upon how big a vendor they are, that's, you know, the sort of thing that I might really like to avoid. So you actually didn't say in the question, and I don't think you said in the context that XYZ Core was actually a vendor. Oh, I, and I, my bad, I was sort of intending that this is the same so president I of... Same X Core. Okay, so the same thing. So AHS's outside law firm gives AHS free tickets to the playoffs. The CEO decides to raffle off the tickets to the manager with the highest safety scores. The employee must report this on the Form 700. The employee does not have to report this on the Form 700 because he or she did not solicit them from the law firm. Or C, the employee does not have to report this on the Form 700 because the tickets were given to AHS. By the way, I think raffle off is incorrect. They didn't raffle. They're giving the, the tickets to the manager with the highest safety score. 
The raffle implies they bought a raffle ticket. There was a chance. chance. Well, I was saying gives out. Do I, we get uh, to evaluate the yes. professor at the end of this? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I encourage and scoring and all that. I stuff. encourage feedback, clarity of instruction. Yeah, wait a minute. And do what employees fill oh, wait. in? No, that's Are a we question. See, so that's why you just do see. Okay. By the way, are you guys coming? Yes, yes, I just heard the answer. <laughs> that's very unethical to complete <laughs> your answers. I'll pass her a note. I'm actually sweating on the employees. You already do. You already did this. No, they didn't have all these questions going. You guys are a test audience here. Okay. So the answer, uh, so I don't think that this employee has to report it, okay? And I think the employee doesn't have to report it primarily because of what we're saying here. And that is that these tickets were not given to the employee, they were given to the organization. And so there is an exception, okay, gifts to the organization, okay, if they are truly gifts to the organization, okay, are not gifts to individual. Yeah. You, so you've moved, for, you've moved from public official and governing body to employee. Well, so are you telling me every custodian in no. a hospital fills out No, a, no, and, when, and I was... The other question there is if it's a manager who's required to fill out the right. Form 700. I should have made that so clear. So you're, you're, you're right. It isn't every employee. It's not even every manager. So the question was right. He didn't clarify. The question didn't say that. That's why I want to evaluate the professor. Is yeah. because I just think. Well, the presumption in the question was this is a manager who crosses a threshold for having to do yep. the 700 report. But I agree with you. That's Specificity the answer I of language. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so there will be an, there will be an evaluation at the end, but we're not going to end. We're just going to keep on going. Until, <laughs> no, we're 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 just about finished here. So, so let's try a couple of a third party is willing to pay costs for a trustee to attend a governance institute conference. Which of the following are permissible? Okay, in terms of what the uh, third party is willing to pay, can they pay for registry? Huh? My husband, that's fine. I mean, or, you know. That's right. That's a good question. <laughs> Clarity of language. What kind of, what kind of attorney if do we said, have? If you said Just, X corporation. Geez, <laughs> you, we hired this guy. <laughs> See, once again, you're, you're focusing on ways to get around this as opposed to focusing on the principle. Okay. So when I say third party here, I'm meaning some business interest. Okay. So it could be a vendor, some partner, you know, the organization. Yeah. Go ahead. Vote away. Vote away. Vote away. So this is probably not the best answer, okay? Because it. And that's a lovely tie you're wearing. <laughs> if I didn't say so before, <laughs> okay? So, you know, the notion of receiving things from third party, you know, 
is not in and of itself a problem. Okay, there is one specific restriction, you know, which basically, um, and we'll get to that in a moment. But as a general rule, there is nothing which you know automatically excludes receiving things like this from some you know somebody else. So, for example, you know, it could be you know. Uh, uh, Med assets. When we were doing work with Med assets, you know, they sponsored, you know, con, you know, conference, you know, or travel to conferences, you know, that, you know, basically with when that were within our business interest, you know, to go to. You know, they had training there, things along those lines. I think the general principle when we're talking about travel expenses is: is this something which is business related? Okay. If the organization could pay for me to do this then it's not necessarily a problem to have some third party pay for it. Okay? And you know, Michael, you're telling me that I could go to a conference in Florida, and it's a governance institute, I'm going to learn a whole lot, and, um, and this is not going to influence my, my decision about a contract that comes before me. No, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm, what See, we're talking. Well, well, Michelle, but, but but that's not what I'm saying. We're talking about are these things that you can accept? Okay, I'm not saying should you accept them. The question is, and again, all of these things have to sort of be put together because there's a rule that might say you can't accept something, but just because you can accept it, I'm not saying that you should accept it. Okay, again, I'm trying to you know help you know people understand that there's different pieces to this. And so the fact that somebody pays for these things is not inherently a problem. It still may be a conflict of interest, okay, but it's not a violation of any of the gift laws with respect to that. So, you know, the fact that meta assets, you know, or some, you know, vendor, you know, pays for us to attend a conference, you know, where they're going to train us on the, you know, use of their product. That's a different... That, that no, no, Michelle, that's precisely what we're talking about in this particular situation. I understand the question okay. in that regard. But, but, so but, but that's what I'm saying is... That I get. Okay. But that's the situation is what we're comparing to is, and that's why I say, if it's something that we as an organization would pay to send somebody to, that's probably the initial thing. Is there a business relationship here to what we're talking about? Because if there's a business relationship, then that opens the door to it being acceptable to accept it. So, 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 the, so the question is, are we going to vote to have a contract with Med Assets? Then we shouldn't. But if we already have the contract and they're just helping us, that they're facilitating our acquaintance with their product, that's a whole different question. I see the same thing. Well. Really? Okay, but 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 folks, no, I see it. I see it as very simple. Okay, well, and, and and if you see it there, then that's precisely what I need you to focus on. Okay, because there are different kinds. It's not just a question of getting something from a company. It's why are we getting it? What's the context? And so, you know, in this instance, you know, I don't know if I gave you enough information to make those determinations. Not, and no. so that's why I said that you could, okay, depending upon the context. But there's no. It, there's no absolute prohibition on these things simply because they come from someone else. So what I was saying is that if there is a business purpose to what's being offered to you, then it's you know you, you can accept those up to four hundred and sixty dollars. No. Uh, well, again, you still have all the rules because it still is a gift. Okay. If you go all the way back to the list of things which I said was gifts, it includes travel. 
and expenses, you know, meals, restaurants, and those sort of things. And so the question is, you can accept them, but you still have to, the gift limit, which is applicable to it. No, so the issue is not the, the, the issue is not the threshold in this case. It's not you can accept the gift up to uh, or beyond the, the limit. If it's below the limit, it's not reportable. If it's above it, you no. No, it's 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 reportable if it's more than fifty bucks. Oh yeah. If, right. if the item is more than fifty it's bucks. Above the limit. Yeah, it's illegal if it's more than four sixty. Yes. Oh, you, so you can't really do a TGI thing. So, yeah, yeah. so wait, is it, that's why I pick meals, because I'm not going to spend So it's illegal if it's meals. above the 460? Yeah. Yes. It's actually illegal? Yes. Okay, I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. So then in that case, why would then, why could they pay for registration? Well, I don't know how much the registration oh, is. Oh, TGI is pretty expensive. That's why we've got to vote for this professor. Let's just keep TGI is no, I'm no. you on speed dial. I'm asking you for everything. Helping me parse out a lot of things. Yeah. So, so this I, discussion, every, I have gone to IHI on Kaiser's Nickel for years. Right. Um, and it's a scholarship to people who serve in, a, in the safety net. And it's not because I'm a... I'm just a sort of anonymous individual who, who is under this group that Karen Basha or whoever before Karen, you know, and before I was a board member, this was happening. But it, mm -hmm. is that a gift? I don't think so. But so conferences, free or re reduced registration is okay. Okay. Meals, lodging, and transportation costs subject to limits unless paid by a 501c3 or public agency. Mm -hmm. and in that instance, they're not subject to gift limits. Okay. And this can't be disqualifying, meaning that there's still a conflict of interest issue. So these are the rules, you know, which are applicable to conferences. Basically, you know, what if you are performing a service, okay? Meaning that, you know, you're going to the conference, but you're, let's say that your day job is something which is, you know, done, you know, around the conference. You're speaking at the conference or you're a panelist at the conference. Then you probably, you know, might have an exception there, you know, as far as it goes. But there are special, you know, again, the point here is that there are special rules which relate, you know, to, you know, conferences and what you're entitled to by virtue of the fact that you're with it. And actually, Dr. Jordan, the, the Kaiser, if I, if I understand this correctly, uh, the, the, the dollars that come from Kaiser to be for IHI are a, a community benefit grant that Kaiser actually gives to uh, the Safety Net Institute or America's Central Hospital. So we get it through one of those uh, yeah. public organizations. Oh, but equally, even even with uh, like TGI or you know the Governance Institute or even Beta, by nature of our engagement and participation within that program, some of these things are included as part of that process. So I mean, you know, the Beta, for example, because we're you know a member of the Beta Healthcare uh, group, we have you know so many you know conferences or sessions that we can go to that further enhance. You know the you know our understanding of what's happening. So I mean, so that's the. It's, 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 it's already. It's already yes. Yeah. Yes. And and so generally. Right. Correct. Could still be somebody who's paying the dues. Yes. That's right. Part of the contract is not for comp registrations. Or your staff. Oh, no, no, no. It, it is. is. It is. Well, well oh. yes, it and is. it can be. And so 
one thing is that you know we will usually endeavor to try incorporate <laughs> incorporate into a contract if that's something that's going to happen because if it's part of the contract that we have with them I think that, that makes it a little bit cleaner you know particularly if you're talking about someone so you know if we are going to you know contract you know with you know some other GPO and they say look we got an annual conference and we you know want you to participate in that then you know we would probably want to try and negotiate as part of the contract what that means, you know, how many, you know, registrations, what sort of things will be covered, because if it's part of the contract, you know, that's okay. But there's, you know, different rules, which are a separate set of principles, you know, which, you know, are, can be applied to conferences, you know. And again, it all goes back to if it's something the organization could pay to send somebody to, okay, that's typically my threshold question. Someone comes in and says, you know, can we accept this? My first question, or the first thing that goes to my mind, is would we pay to send someone to go to that? And if we would not pay someone to send someone to go to that, I shut it down right there. <laughs> because that's the ultimate thing, is that we don't pay to send people off just to go off and have fun. We pay them, you know, and we're only accepting things which allow us to accomplish a business purpose. And so that's, you know, the real threshold question. Vegas and it has nothing to do with health care, it's probably not a good idea. Precisely. Precisely. You have to cancel tracing. <laughs> so, members of a local board may accept a fee for giving a speech at a conference, true or false? Okay, looks like all. Okay. This is true. Okay, there is a specific prohibition against accepting honoraria for speech. Okay? Any public official cannot accept honorary for his speech. There are a couple of, you know, exceptions, but it is a explicit exception to the rule or, you know, a, a, a special rule uh, that basically doesn't allow for compensation. Well, then that should be false. Right. Yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on just a second. I believe the question, it oh, said. Was it possible? It says you may. Oh, okay. I said no way. Okay, so the one per or the two people who answered so false, right. but the only ones are correct. Yeah, the rest of. Well, you mean wrong. in their capacity as a public? Official. You mean I can't speak on public Wait, education? What about her? Uh, uh, in, uh, that's, that's not what the, the question she said. Money she I can't give a speech. No, if, I'm a, if I'm on this board, no, I can't. it said honoraria. You cannot receive honoraria I can't for giving receive money for talking about public education. Okay, so generally speaking, no. Okay, but there are exceptions. Okay, if it's a bona fide business or profession, okay, then, or if it's artistic performance, or if it's money paid to an agency or director. So if you're going to a conference, you know, to speak on, uh, you know, uh, school issues, then it probably fits under this exception here. You know, the same way that if I went off to a conference, you know, to talk about, you know, discovery or litigation practices, arguably I could accept honoraria for that, okay, because it goes to, you know, my, you know, it's, it's a professional speech that I'm giving. But if it doesn't relate, you know, to some professional capacity, then it probably falls underneath this. You can get the expenses reimbursed if it's in California, but we're talking about you know being paid a fee to do something like that. So for example, if if Med Assets, you know, invited, you know, me to speak, you know, at one of their conferences, you know, that would probably be a little bit more problematic because, you know, again, unless it fits under exception. Again, there's a special rule for honoraria, okay? 
So if the question involves honorary, I just need you to understand that there, you know, there's a different rule that might apply. Board members, not for spouses or anyone else. That's correct. That's correct. So don't do this. Use our stuff for yourself. Okay. Uh, so, if it's related to your official duties, that's fine. Okay. There's uh, no problem with that. Okay, I'm going to skip over this. This typically is not an issue since we send stuff out. Trustee X is very much in favor of Proposition YYY, a ballot measure increasing health services for the homeless. Trustee Y may, or actually it should be Trustee X. <laughs> Trustee X may endorse the measure and indicate her position as a trustee of My AHS. Because you can say that you support it, uh, but your your role as a board member has to be for identification purposes only. That's right. correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. So. And typically what happens, it would say Joe DeVries, you know, a board of trustees, Alameda Health System, there'd be an asterisk there. You go down to the bottom, the asterisk says for identification purposes only, okay? And again, it's just to make the point that, you know, you are the board, as a member of this board, you can't use that title outside of the board's business, okay? Can I give my full-throated support for Measure YYY? Okay. <laughs> Why? Okay. Are you, are you Why trustee not? X or trustee Y? Are you trustee X or trustee Wait, me, can we go back to that? You can't use the title for business at other, so I shouldn't, not that I ever do, but identify myself as a member of the board of trustees. Or campaign. Political, political, political activities You're is what we're saying, talking about. Not, not only if, for political. Okay. Yeah. If our board took a position on a ballot measure, then that could be stated, yes. correct? Yes. But, but you can't state as, it as, as if you're representing the board Definitely. in right. that endorsement unless our board took made that endorsement. Right. Yeah. If I'm but, writing a letter to somebody that had nothing to do with board business, I could still use oh, of course. My yes. Yes. This yes. is a letter telling them to vote. Yeah, and, and, the, and the question here, or the issue here, is the yes. potential confusion of what the board is doing as That's opposed correct. to what you're doing as an individual. What about our Twitter account? Yeah, what you, you can you can identify. I don't identify myself as a member of the board. And that's that's fine. Okay. And I think that that would, in many respects, be the preferred you know yes. way to do it. Yes. Uh, so. Like Just want to say on uh, compensation <laughs> reimbursement, we do have a special uh, you know board travel and reimbursement policy. Okay. Um, Compensation, I just want to say on executive and staff compensation, anybody uh, know what the, the Bell rule is? Oh, yeah, the city of Bell. Yeah, this is the city manager of yeah. Bell, okay, oh, yeah. and various other folks. And so subsequent to that, you know, um, they basically the rule is is that compensation, okay, can only be discussed or changed in a regularly scheduled meeting in open session. And so if there's some, you know... Uh, you know, action that needs to be taken, you know, regarding the CEO's compensation, it has to be regularly scheduled meeting, has to be an open session, okay? That was the significant change out, you know, as a result of the bull case.
Okay, fair processes, uh, be fair to people, uh, follow the Constitution, and uh, avoid organizational conflicts of interest. Um, and what we're talking about here is that the same things that sort of are conflicts of interest with individuals or with you and other places can be with organizations as well too. And so we have to be careful if we're contracting with an organization that the relationship you know, continues to be an objective relationship in terms of continuing to use their services, that sort of thing. There are some specific rules. So for example, you know, we generally speaking you know, cannot contract you know, with an organization to provide, you know, let's say, design services and then also build services as well too. You know, the idea being that there is now a conflict of interest because of that first engagement you have. So it's just, you know, something, sort of another talk. This was the thing I wanted to do. Uh, um, oh, not, that's not actually it. That's pretty straightforward. A trustee circulates to staff and the board an op-ed article from a local newspaper criticizing recent increases in local public agency salaries. This information should be posted publicly. The information need not be posted publicly because it does not relate to a board decision. Or see this information need not be posted publicly because it is just background information. Brown Act question. Okay. So, those of you who said it had to be, need not be posted publicly, not related to board decision. Why? Why, th why this not and not this? We're not deliberating on it. It's just an, an op-ed piece. It's just a, it's an article. And if I send that out to all of the board members, I have violated the Brown Act. Now, if, it, if what ensued was a, a serial meeting because we had a conversation about it in regards to what our, our employee's right. salary should be, then we would have a potential Brown Act violation. But just sending the article out to everybody is not something we're deliberating on. Okay. Who disagrees? Well, I just disagree that it's not a decision because we eventually are going to make a decision about compensation. So, but I agree with the Brown, it's not a Brown Act issue to send something out without asking for any response or deliberation. Okay. But what about the, do you have to post it? Post or, it or, meaning... On the board, I, I, I said website. no. Or, or make it available to the public. It is a public, on the, it's a public record. available to the public. And see, and understand that with the Brown Act, you know, the idea is that the public is entitled to understand how you make decisions. So whatever it is that goes into your decision-making process, the public is entitled to understand that and know that at the time you're doing it. And so... The whole things around the open meetings, okay, and receiving information that you receive to make your decision is designed to achieve that purpose. So, you know, with regard, you know, to this, I would say that, um, that this is probably the better answer, okay? From the standpoint that, you know, if there was, you know, that this is information which influences your decision making or has the potential to influence your decision making. So. And only because it was shared with everyone. I think you're wrong. It's an op-ed piece about general public salaries. I could distribute an op-ed piece about abortion rights. 
But but you shared it with the rest of the board members, okay? And it relates to subject, which is the business of the board. If you sent around an article, you know, about uh, you know, Steph Curry is shooting too many threes or whatever, I don't think you have to post that because that's not something that this board makes decisions about. But you know, the question, and again, you know, I'm just you know sort of giving you the idea here that. The point is when you are dealing with the public, you have an obligation under the Brown Act to share the information. So if there is information that you get which is going to influence your decision, the public's entitled to see that information as well, too. So do we, if that's the case, do we copy Susanna and you on anything we share to the entire trustees? Yes. You then post it where? Well, you know, we want you to copy us so that we can decide if there's something that needs to be, you know, posted. Uh -huh. Typically, if that's going to happen, it would be a discussion, you know, with the CEO and the know, board. How do you know that that's going to influence my decision? So you're making a judgment about how I decide. And so to answer her question, if she sends this stuff out and it goes to Susanna and you two decide whether or not it's going to influence my decision, you don't have a right to do that. So what I was saying is, with the CEO, we would talk to you as the board president with our opinion that this should be posted because the Brown Act requires it to post. If we agree, because I actually don't. Well, okay, and that's fine. Okay, but okay, again, folks, the point is, I'm just trying to get us to understand what the obligation is, and you know, my job is to advise you on what I think these things require. Okay, and it does require that information which is used by the board in its decision-making, the public has the right to know that information. But what if, like, what if we all follow Maria's Twitter feed, and she posts that on her Twitter feed, and she knows we all follow it. Is that, you know, yeah, I mean, I we're all going to Well, that, that is available to the public. I think that's an often situation, so but I feel there's some intent behind, now, I'm, I read, each one of us reads that many, mm -hmm. but we pick out one to tell decision makers about an issue that is pertinent to the board. So in that case, because it, it is something that we might not make a decision today or tomorrow, but by sending something which has a certain angle, again, no, no guarantee that that's what someone else is going to use to make up their mind. Mm -hmm. But it's, it, the, so I think the onus is on the person too to be a little self-regulatory about what they bombard the board with. Uh, but uh, I think presuming that once the board has this material or that material, I mean, people, um, I, I don't know. Um, I, this, I chose the does not need mm -hmm. to be posted, okay. but after listening to you, yeah. I feel like if it's matters that have to do with compensation, salary, public hospital, you know, policy and things, that maybe if it's something that the board is reading, why shouldn't it be put on board effect or why shouldn't it be posted? Okay. That's how it comes. But again, you know, the, the public has a right to know what goes in the board decision making. And so, you know, keep that in mind in terms of, you know, what's being used. So this will be our last question here. Which of the following are meetings under the Brown Act? So you have five trustees have lunch at a restaurant but do not discuss any AHS business. A group of trustees attend an Oakland A's baseball game. 
see all members of the Board of Trustees attend a Governance Institute conference. All of the above or none of the above. So which are meetings under the Brown Act? Oops, sorry. lunch at a restaurant now it said that they don't discuss business okay a meeting really is a majority of the or, or a quorum of the group okay it is meeting to discuss business so yeah I mean you could take the position that you know they're not discussing business so it's not a meeting but you know that's something of a close call as to whether or not you could say it's not a meeting trustees attend an Oakland A's baseball game I don't know how many trustees are attending this game, okay? I think that there's perhaps an argument that no business was being discussed there, which is one element of when a meeting occurs as opposed to when a meeting doesn't occur. So, again, there's you know, some questions there. I think that this, you know, again, is also an exception, which is generally recognized that if the entire board or a majority of the board attends a, con you know, a conference, that that doesn't constitute a meeting of the board. Um, so depending upon some of the, you know, the particular circumstances, you know, I think none of the above would be an appropriate answer to this, okay? But I could also see circumstances, you know, where all of those. Understanding that it's the number of trustees and what goes on, you know, during the things. The thing which I think is important in terms of how you deal with it is, you know, also just sort of the public appearance. If, you know, the five of you are in a, you know, a restaurant in downtown Oakland, that's a little bit, you know, that is the sort of thing, you know, where, you know, someone might reasonably think that you're having a discussion about, you know, board business. So we're over time, which is my, my fault, okay? Yeah, right, it's our fault. So there's a couple of things we didn't, you know, uh, focus on particularly, but I think that, the, you know, the other slides in the, you know, the book are, uh, are self-explanatory. <laughs> are self-explanatory, you know, from the, from the standpoint that you can read them and call me if you have questions about, you know, what... But what's the answer to the one. other test? Was, I, think, I thought we got all the tests. Oh, the last one. Which of the following may be discussed by the board in a closed session? Okay. This can't, okay. This is the bell rule, okay. It's a special meeting, okay. To just pay raise for the CEO, cannot discuss this in closed session, Okay. The terms for the purchase of a building for a new wellness clinic, there's some argument here. There's a real estate exception. That's right. Uh, strategy for ne negotiating a multi-million dollar EHR contract, no. There is no exception, closed session exception. There is, you know, depending upon what it is that's being discussed, if there's some trade secret information, maybe, but this is problematic. This is probably the best one, the one that's the cleanest, clearest, you know, because this, this is labor negotiations, so that generally is always going to be acceptable. So, thank you all very much uh, for your attention, your input. Can um, we keep the clicker and use it on our family members? Uh, you know, that would be a gift. Uh, <laughs> yes, 
far as it And so, you know, again, but in all seriousness, you know, these are not easy issues, you know, to deal with, and I just really can't encourage you enough, you know, to, um, that, you know, you're not required to decide all of this on your own, that we are here to help you with it. And so, you know, that's the main thing, and, you know, hopefully, no, everyone just has a, you know, a better sense now of what the uh, issues actually are. So, um, that's all I have. And, uh, uh, two, and two years from now, and I'm thinking that at this point, for you know, online probably makes sense because you all have had the chance to talk to these things, and we're, and the issues aren't going to change significantly. I think I'm having a root canal on that day. <laughs> <laughs> Remember. Yes, I agree. <laughs> And Mike, I have to say, we talked about last week, what about doing this online on your own? Mm -hmm. And that collective learning and kind of hashing it out yeah, really is better. It does show you that these are complicated things. Yeah. Well, right. and, and it does really say we need to call you for yes. clarity. I hope that's okay with you. Oh, no, absolutely. Gonna yeah, get absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important thing, you know, is that. It, it is not easy, and some of it is counterintuitive, and some of it does reflect, you know, um, a number of different things. And, and and again, I sort of see my role here is to try and reflect what you collectively want to be the reputation and how this organization projects itself. And I'll you know argue and advocate you know for doing this or doing that. But at the end of the day, you all are going to decide what stand where you want the line drawn, you know, for these things. And my job is just to make sure that that line is not drawn in, in the wrong place, you know, in terms of creating a, uh, you know, a violation. So, but I also want you to have a sense of, you know, everything you So, so I think that uh, I'll turn it back over to you, Michelle, since we have Oh, thank you. Of, uh, okay, I will ask if there's any public comment. Thank you. Uh, then we're going to... No, no, no. We have, we have oh, we have business items to, to go. I forgot about that. I beg your pardon. I'm sorry. I got so excited about this, <laughs> the uh, ethnics training. Okay, so um, um, I'm going to ask for a motion to um, approve the minutes for September 14th and so the 29th. Moved. Second. Any discussion? Therefore, all, all in favor? Aye. Thank you. Both pass. Uh, you have a noted abstention. I have an abstention. I was not there. <clears throat> yes, and I'm not voting because I haven't read any materials. Okay, so we'll note two abstentions. Uh, um, I'll ask for a motion to approve the policies and procedures before discussion. So moved. Thank you. Uh, are there any discussion on the policies and procedures? These have, in fact, gone before the Professional Quality Service Committee, and they are recommending approval. Any conversation? Okay, I'll take the vote. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Abstention. Thank you. Uh, number three, approval of contracts of CEO. Um, we'll take... And we can do this as a consent, or does anyone want to pull out a contract for separate vote? I want to pull A, please. You want to pull A? Okay. Um, can I have a motion on B, C, D, E, and F? I'll 
I'll move whatever question. Um, second. Okay. So, I mean, these were all recommended by finance, correct? Yes. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, I'll ask for a vote uh, on B, C, D, E, and F. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. One abstention. One abstention. Okay, let's open for a vote on uh, item number A, contract renewal for master services from the I AMF group. Can I have a motion for approval? Okay, I have one. Uh, I have a motion. I'll second. Thank you. Okay. Um, any discussion, Tracy? I think you had some things. Right. Questions? I just had. Um, uh, it looks like we're increasing this by eight hundred thousand dollars, four hundred thousand a year. Is that right? Because of an extension, it's not. It's the contract ended, and we're extending it. And the extension is the amount of the. So this contract is for eight hundred thousand dollars for two years. For two years. Uh, yes, that is correct. A net increase. Well. Uh, that's what confused me. So it says that the the overall obligation for from March 1st to June 30th, 2018 is $2.94 million, but the impact, so we're actually renewing the contract for two years. That's what, it, what I'm confused about. So are we renewing it for two years for 2.94, that's, which equals 800000 more than the prior contract? Which may or may not have been two years. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, so now I think the so the the term of the renewal starts in November, so uh, in a few days, and it goes through the next two years. And the impact of the the renewal itself is eight hundred thousand dollars. At this stage, I said so. The overall uh, actually, let's say renewal and prior. I think that date is. So it expired March 1st, maybe, and we're renewing it now for 800? Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm wondering. You know, I, I, I'd like to what maybe I, pull I, it and bring it back. Yeah. That's what I'd like. I, I will, too. I have, like, four comments on this. Okay, so yeah. let's, yeah. we'll ask, rather than, rather than voting no on the contract, I'd like permission from the board for us to just pull it and bring yeah. it back at yeah. the next meeting. I move that we pull A and bring it back. Thank you. Okay, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Great. Okay. Um, then we'll move for um, any information. That was the end of the consent calendar. Um, you have on there um, the consent, I mean, you have the information items, legislative government, and from our um, PR. Sir, I have a request. So the questions, is it possible to get the questions that you have so that I think the clarification here is if you look at, and there's a couple items on the current finance agenda for next week that, that I think with IRA coming in new to the contracting, there are, the way we've shown it in the past and the way we're showing it now may be a little bit different. So when I'm looking at this vendor, it's the now 2,094. And the dates from March 1st to the 30th conflict with the dates above from November 16th through 18. You're adding $800,000. Is that for the couple months? Is that for? It is. So, so that part I can explain. So, so ours, ours has been here a, a little while now. What, what, what we're showing is that you know, any contracts where the contract authority exceeds a million dollars, 
that's when it's coming to you. This contract was in existence, and so the amount was already over a million dollars for the last contract. This new contract now adds $800,000 to that for the next two years. I The, the thing I was seeing, you know, I was So is the 800 amount. reflected in the 2-9? Yes. Yes, the 800 is included in that amount. It's saying that the total authority now for that particular vendor, because you always want to know how much money have we spent with that vendor, when we spend that 800000 the total contract or the amount of money we spent with them now will be up to $2.4 million, uh, the not to exceed. The thing I had the issue with and I was going to check is, I think they March 2016, I think that number, that date March 1st, to 2016. Yeah, I actually think that the date is, is, oh, no, I know what it is now. I, I, I'm sorry, I went back and looked at the, um, the, uh, contract, or sorry, the finance committee minutes. So, so this agreement was a previous contract of marketing advertising has now expired. The services are being renewed for the master services agreement. Um, you know what? Let me just do this. So, if, all I was asking, I don't, I don't, because I can't uh, precisely answer this, I remember part of the issue was that the past contract, which is longer than uh, uh, the, the two years that we're doing now, um, expired. We did a retro because the work continued past the uh, contract, and we did a PO for that. And then now the amount, the eight hundred thousand, goes from November through the remainder of the two two year period. Well, we took action on this about eighteen or that. Yeah, the last original spring, contract. That's the thing I'm having is where I think the date is not yeah. March of twenty sixteen. No, that would be for this this whole part of it. So that's okay. Oh, all I'm asking now is I want, to, I want to be clear if there are other questions beyond just declaring okay. the date. Yes. Well, let me ask you I'd like to know what the other questions are so we're prepared to address those. Well, 800,000 doesn't seem like enough for two years. But my... it, it's all we're asking for now. Uh, how much this, are we actually paying them per year? Oh, so so I, we've only had a one year, well, oh, as far no, as I'm So here's what I think happened. Can I? So basically, I think 18 months back, they had asked us to um, ratify or you know approve a contract for a certain period, a certain amount of money, and we said no. And our the, what we said was a lot less than that. Correct. What happened was when the duration of the contract passed. This is what I think is that because it was under one million. Mm -hmm. In that uh, it was retroactively, it was paid. So that's one thing I feel is that that extension, because the work continued, but the money allocated was not, None. was less. Well, kind of, but let me tell you. So actually, so before I came on board, AMF, as a part of the budget for right. last year, came to uh, came to the board and asked for authority. You granted half of that authority. Correct. When, but you said come back to us for the rest of it. That was actually my first meeting where they came back for the rest of it, and then you granted it. But that was for all of last year. What happened was, as a part of this year's budget, uh, we approved continuation of work with AMF, but we didn't catch the fact that the contract had ended. So now we're extending the, uh, the contract, but there was work that was done between July 1 and now, that we had to retrospectively pay for through a PO, uh, and then this is going for the remainder of that time. So it's, it, it may be the fact that the actual contract before ended in February and not in uh, June, but I'm not sure about that. That's the thing I wanted to clarify. So that 
I'll get clarity. I'm not asking you to approve it today because I want to get clarity for you. But I want to make sure beyond the date and understanding that part of it, are there substantive questions about the contract itself that I also want to Well, it, it, not if we're, not if this is just um, a, 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 to approve the, the scope that's already been seen and approved by the board, then I don't have any other questions. If there's additional okay. scope or if this is to extend or expand, then I would want to see so more the, information. So the, the part you should know then, I can take these and answer them later, but the part you should know is we have, because of the new strategic plan, right. we have altered the nature of the relationship well, then, with... Well, uh, then, that's what my question would be. So I, I would want to know what, what AMF do is doing yeah. for us now. So I'll, I, I'll, I, I'll do that later. Yeah, the I contract spells it, it out, but I can yeah, do that. I think the finance committee has seen it, but it could yeah. help the full board to at least read the full contract, because yes. there is, uh, you know, language in there, and at the finance committee, some of the things that we raised was, now we are doing this for three years. So it has to align with, you know, the just culture, right. the other things. We've only done it in English and Spanish before. We have to make sure that we are doing at least one other Asian, you know, Chinese, whichever is a bigger population that we serve. So it has to be reflective. And some of those um, language in the contract said that if it's anything new that comes up, then we kind of renegotiate parts of those things again, right? Like, as, right. as in all contracts. Right. So, so, but to have a little bit more leeway, because this is a time of so much emerging um, info, so if you lock yourself into a contract that's much more narrow in its scope, and as you're, as, as you're uh, building all of these new frameworks and things, you really want to infuse your campaign with that, if it's a public campaign. So how, you know, I think people should read the contract. My, my suggestion is you bring this particular item as a separate vote and not on a consent. And so remember that schematic which showed all the stuff that you guys were doing. There were posters and then they were public things. So there was that. And then a question came up in the finance committee is, is and I think you answered it there, but these were subjective evaluations of, of their effectiveness. That's right. And so that was a question that was a question that came up is how do you evaluate the effectiveness of of this of this campaign? And okay. so that was a question that came up through the finance committee. So, so and those questions I'm, I'm I'm prepared to answer. I wanted to, I don't need to do it today because we're taking it back, but that's a, that's the thing I just want to make sure that that I understood all the questions that I have. So if it's about uh, so what I hear you saying is one Let's clarify the dates and the amounts and how those things line up, uh, which unfortunately I should be able to do and I can't do right now, so I apologize for that. Uh, but two, uh, then if it's about kind of what is the nature of the, the uh, contractual work that's being added as a part of this uh, continuation of the work, uh, I'm prepared to answer that, talk to that. Are, are there, is there anything else? The evaluation of how, how you will determine its effectiveness. Okay. And, and with regard to, to um, King Kenny's point, the, the the scope I don't I don't need the whole scope of the contract, but just what has changed from last year, especially with regard to any um, any addressing of the culture or things like that. that That's the second two. part. So yeah, I can. Do yeah, whatever that. the finance it. committee was concerned about, I'd like. To. I got that. Yeah. So we we discussed it. Okay. So I, I can do the other two. But it was just a third one. Okay. Thanks. Okay. So we voted to move this and bring it back to the next meeting. Okay. Can I just ask by because uh, I would ordinarily bring this back to the business meeting. Uh, I know there is work that's ongoing, and I don't want it to be uh, uh, we're going to a situation where we're stalling work because we don't have the contract. 
Uh, so can I, I'll bring it to the November 10th meeting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, do we have any other comments? No public comments? Then I'm going to move into closed session. And we intend to discuss public employee performance evaluation and the conference with labor negotiator. The board is returning uh, from closed session. Um, we talked about labor negotiations and, um, and um, employee evaluation of the CEO. Um, no action was taken at this point. Oh, no. no one, action. one action was taken related to collective bargaining. I beg your pardon. Um, uh, can I have a motion to close the meeting? So moved. All those in favor? Aye. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Meeting is adjourned.